Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of My Blind Life. This episode is brought to you by BPI, Blind LGBT Pride International. BPI is a great nonprofit organization that promotes the awareness, the inclusion, and the well-being of blind and vision-impaired LGBT people through education, advocacy, and peer support. For more information, please go to blindlgbtpride.org. That is blindlgbtpride.org. So what are you waiting for? Join me in becoming a member or supporter of BPI, Blind LGBT Pride International. With that being said, I am your host, Stevie Mike, and this is My Blind Life. Before I get into the episode, I want to say I hope everyone is staying safe, everyone is washing your hands and practicing social distancing. Be sure to look out for one another, call each other, um, keep everyone entertained, and I know it's tough out there um, staying indoors. I know where I'm at, where I am right now in Texas, um, in Austin, we're actually having to stay inside. We're at a stay-at-home kind of deal, and I know a lot of places are practicing that right now, um, kind of orders for that. But, yep, uh, listening to this episode, um, it'll kill some time. Listen to other podcasts, call friends, play some games. There's always um, a lot of calls that you can join, conference calls, uh, play trivia games with people. There's plenty of things to do out there to keep your mind busy. Um, so, yeah, with that being said, I just said that again. Fuck. But anyways, I want to introduce you to uh, my next guest. Uh, this guy, I met him. I met him last year at the ACB National Conference and Convention in Rochester, New York. Um, he was pretty cool. He was pretty cool. I, uh, I met him at one of our one of the meetings. Um, he was actually he just went on a whim. And he was kind of scared to go. And I talked to him, and, and we got really cool with each other. Um, he He's a writer. He's an activist. Um, he's a native New York. He's a, he's a, he's native to New York. So right now his state is going, like, his city is kind of messed up. So he's going to talk a little bit about that. Um, he's going to talk about his writing. Um, he'll probably talk about how we met. He's, he's a pretty cool guy and a really good friend of mine. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce all of you to Anthony Corona. Welcome to My Blind Life. One, two, three, four! All right, all right, all right. Now we're recording. Cool, man. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm pretty good, pretty good, man. I um, I seriously want to apologize. <laughs> nah. You it, know? It happens. Who happens? But like, I, yeah. see, so I feel bad because... It was, it was a rookie mistake, you know what I mean? <laughs> and like, that shouldn't have happened. So I, I want to explain to everyone listening because they don't even know what the hell happened. So we we did this before. We did this on what what, what day was it? Saturday? Uh, Friday? On Friday. Friday. Yeah. So today's Sunday. We recorded on Friday. We talked for about two and a half hours. Um, I didn't fully check my inputs and outputs on everything. Um, hold on. Let me let me turn off my my phone speech. speech on. There you go. Um, speech off. There you go. Um, so yeah, we um, recorded. I didn't check my inputs and outputs. My voice got recorded. Anthony's voice didn't. So on the recording, you can hear me talking, but I'm talking to no one. So two and a half hours wasted of Anthony's time, and I felt like shit. I was like, oh my god, I wasted his time, and. What the fuck am I gonna do? How am I gonna tell him? Like, oh no, this is so fucking bad. And 
literally like so <laughs> i found out two hours before i told you like this whole time the whole two hours i was trying to figure out like how am i gonna tell him like this is shit like how am i gonna fucking tell him that nothing got recorded like what, what am i supposed to fucking do <laughs> so uh, i felt so shit and then like i just sent him a message like i'm so so sorry man like please like forgive me like jesus i can't believe i did this shit <laughs> i felt so bad like oh, I had... knowing knowing me my first instinct i was gonna type out um, you know was my ghost life people hours bro you know i phone reread the message to me and i'm stuck good we'll do it again yeah <laughs> i was gonna send you a message saying yeah <laughs> yeah man I, I, I felt so bad I'm like oh my god and i didn't know what to do i was like man like <laughs> and i told i told like um after i told you what happened um i told a couple of my friends and they were like oh my god i feel your pain i feel so bad i wish i can help you <laughs> And it was just, it was just how it sucked, man. <laughs> but anyways, we're, we're back. It's the we're, best we're... of us, man. I do a, 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 go ahead. Yeah, we're back. Cool podcast. And a couple months ago, I had a, an actor on from the Young and the Restless. And um, we were supposed to intersperse a clip into it. And so I prepped the whole clip, the whole nine yards. And I have a couple of clips from Amazing Scenes put the wrong clip in i put the clip of an act who just in fact she was screaming at her daughter in the body bag oh wake up uh-huh. oh, I, when when the cast actually live and all this to the scene i was like oh my god <laughs> like what am i stupid you know but you know that they laughed it off people people sent in all kinds of messages and stuff and, and the guy um the actor's name is um Kevin, he uh oh no he's Kevin on the show but um you know he hold on hold on hold on you're breaking up under you're, the you're, you're breaking up badly is it your Wi-Fi maybe it's... you can hear me fine right no you're actually breaking up now too huh okay let me let me check my Wi-Fi real quick let me Sleep turn on. off my Wi-Fi I heard everything you started speech off can you hear me now. Yeah, I hear you. How about me? Yeah, you sound good. Okay. So you your clip was you put in the wrong clip and what happened? Uh so then you know, everybody, all of our uh, listeners started posting comments and then the actor himself posted and he's like, Man, that was an Emmy award winning scene. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> so he was just fine with it? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, we were profusely apologizing. Um, yeah. it, you know, the clips just got mixed up. They were put in and, not, you know, I have three co-hosts. We didn't think to check because we'd done it before a hundred times. And this was the one time that, you know, we screwed it up. But uh, it was hilarious. And, and that's, you know, that's life. See, I'm not, I'm unfiltered. I'm unedited. Yeah. I, you know, I think, you know, I don't, I don't want to be perfect. If I have to live up to being perfect every two weeks, I'd go out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's what sucked because like i've done this before i've done a podcast before and one of the one of the things that my friend was telling me was like because i had just gotten back and this you're like you're my second episode and i haven't done another podcast in about three years that i haven't done a podcast and 
she was telling me like don't worry um you're just getting back into it you got to dust the rust off like yeah i guess so but it's just it's such a rookie mistake like you know like i can't believe i did this shit you know so it was i was so hard on myself and like i i didn't know what to tell you like fuck man i wasted his time (laughs) like two and a half half hours of me him talking and it was great i got to know your story i did but not everyone else did (laughs) so like fuck (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah nah, man. It, it was an awesome conversation and and when i answered you back i really feel you know what shit happens sometimes it just smells better than others <laughs> you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll do it again and you know get it right this time that's all yeah <laughs> man, for sure so okay now now since we're, we're actually doing this and you're actually being recorded let's uh let's start from the beginning so anthony corona this is him let's go uh being born, uh, where are you from? How old you are? What's your condition? And then start when little baby Anthony Corona comes out. All right. Well, Anthony Corona, this is my blind life. Um, I may be different from most of your guests because uh, I've only been blind four years. But Anthony Corona, I was born in Staten Island, New York, just a bit over 40 something years ago. <laughs> 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 tell my real age well you know when i'm in a relationship so i guess it doesn't matter now when you're gay like you don't want to be anything over 40 <laughs> if you're single <laughs> uh now i'm 44 years old um i was born in Staten island new york and uh uh i grew up uh i grew up there mostly but my father had been in the navy so the first year of my life, we were in Staten Island, and then they had to go back to Virginia, and then we were there till I was six, mm-hmm. uh, and then we came back to Staten Island, um, and that's you know I grew up there, and I was there until I left for college. Okay. Um, very tight, um, old world Italian family. <laughs> when you say that, <laughs> that you're, y'all uh, were conservative, right? Y'all were more. Your family was more conservative than anything. Um, you know. <sighs> Yes and no. Um, you know, New York conservative. I, I think, you know, what's considered conservative in certain parts of the country definitely is not what's considered conservative in bigger cities. So, you know, I'll go with, you know, I'll go with New York conservative. But as far as, you know, I remember when, you know, I'm, I'm on one side of my family, I'm in the middle. And on the other, you know, as far as the cousins are concerned, then on the other side, I'm the first boy. Mm-hmm. Um you know, when I was little, one of my older cousins started dating a black girl. And that was, that was Roboten. There were, I mean, there were family meetings about the whole thing. My grandmother, uh, who was progressive in every other way, was just like, no, this is not happening. This is going to cause too much problems for both you. And she honestly was looking at it from both perspectives for both you and her. Um, you know, but there was, I mean, it was scandal. So, you know, depending on what the, you know, what the, uh, the topic was, so to speak, is yeah. depending on the level of conservatism. <laughs> and I have, you know, I have family members on both sides that were and are still, uh, in another kind of family, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, you know, the family. Yeah. <laughs> the family. Yeah. You know, around Christmas time, things would often be falling off trucks and, you know. I See, I remember and, you uh, telling me that in the first time, like. Did that play any role in you growing up at all? 
Um, yeah, it, it kind of did because, you know, it's drilled into, it's drilled into you from before you, you know, from before I even have memory really in certain ways that, you know, what goes on in the family stays in the family. What goes on the house stays in the house. And, you know, th there was this, this level of living sort of a dual lifestyle that, you know, started before I even have memory of it. Um, you know, we put on a face uh, for, you know, for the outside world and, you know, hushed conversations and things that were going down and who needed to get bailed out. And <laughs> like, yeah. I'm saying that, like, it's normal because for me, that was normal, you, you know, yeah. hanging out, you know, at home, watching TV at eight o'clock at night. And, you know, my grandmother calling frantically that this one got arrested. What's going to happen? And, you know, my mother running out the door because, you know, she didn't want my grandmother going down to, to courts in the middle of the night. And so, you know, it it, uh, it definitely played a role. Uh, you know, I will say my father uh, was very straight as far as that was concerned, wanted, you know, wanted nothing to do with the actual quote unquote business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was fond of saying, though, you know, if certain things fall off the truck, he doesn't want anyone hijacking the truck. He doesn't want anyone popping a tire in the truck. But if it happens to go around the corner really wide and a couple of boxes fall off, yeah, let him know. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and of course that came with a list. Yeah. <laughs> this, 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 and this. <laughs> Which, you know, was basically saying, don't get caught. So if you can get this, get it, but don't get caught. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the moral compass also too was very uh uh very weird um you know there was a lot of things that went on you know do as i say not as i do mm -hmm. um mentality yeah I, I mean i you know i'll tell you i was like five or six years old uh no it had to have been after i was six because we lived up here um but right not long after we moved up here somebody came looking for two of my uncles and uh you know, all of a sudden, there's three uncles and a couple of friends, and they're all running out with bats and sticks, and, and who's who's rummaging around the kitchen trying to get my grandmother's broom because there was no more bats left. Oh shit! Uh, you know, out into the street, and you know, of course, the ants and my my mother was working, but the ants come running in, you know, and and grabbing us up and telling us to go in the back room, and you know, I mean, that didn't happen all the time, but there were definitely moments. You know, I know at one point I had an uncle that was on the ram, as we call it, you know, and he was staying in multiple basements, this and that. And it was like, you know, as a kid, you're like, okay, he's a bad guy. Um, and he's here. If they catch, are we all going to jail? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. So you saw that is... firsthand? Yeah. Man. Yeah. I had an uncle that, you know, for a couple of weeks lived in the basement and then he went to another aunt's house and, and you know. This went on for this went on for a couple of months, and then they shipped him out. He was somewhere in California, and <laughs> two years later, he got picked up on a warrant, you know, out in California, and had to come back for trial anyway. Um, you know, but it, it you know it's not normal, but it's happening in your family, so you kind of you know at that that's the norm. It, it's not until you get to a certain age where you realize this doesn't happen in everybody's family. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> you kind of know it because you're you're not allowed to speak. You're not allowed to say certain things out in public. So you kind of know it, but you don't know it. Like you think that you, you know, you think everybody's got stuff like this going on. Um, 
you know, then you get invited to somebody's house for a play date and like, you know, they're sitting around the piano singing songs and the mother's baking cookies and you're like, what? Who lives like this? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like chocolate milk? Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's insane. Do you want to sing with us? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. So did that have any impact on you growing up though? Like as you got older, like, Did did you have that tough mentality, or were you like more empathetic uh, to other other people, or like anything? Any of that affect you in any way? Um, you know, double edged sword as well in both ways. It definitely made me more empathetic to a lot of situations, but at the same time, you have this skin. You know, I can call my sister a bitch, but you call my sister a bitch, I'm gonna fuck you up. Yeah. One of, you know, one of us is going away in an ambulance. The other one's probably going away in a cop car. Um, you know, so it's, it's definitely, you know, you can't escape the, the, you know, macho bro kind of, you know, that was never me in my gut, mm -hmm. but you know, that's what I was around and that's, that's who I had to be. So when I finally got away to college, I was like, Oh my God, I can finally be me. Yeah. Um, But no, yeah. Um, but at the same point in time, I also was very cognizant of, you know, of people that live the right way. And not that my immediate family didn't live the right way, but because you had all this other stuff going on, there was always, you know, always secrets and always something going on. Plus, my mom was a, a raging wineaholic. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I would come across people that had, you know, and I hate that word normal, but that would that were living in relatively normal families. And so, and I was like, Oh, I don't know how to deal with this. Um, you know, what if I say the wrong thing? And, and, you know, I make a joke about something and they're like, uh, are you serious? Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't know how to hide body parts. I don't know. You know, no, no, no. I don't know that. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Man. Okay. So let's, let's start from when you were in high school because you, you're LGBT, right? I am. Okay, yeah. cool. So just want to make sure for the listeners. I know you are, but the listeners don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, proud. He's a proud LGBT member. Proud, proud to be. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> happy and proud, happy ho. Uh, so, well, former ho, because I'm not in love. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was a happy ho, man. So, happy, happy ho. <laughs> let's, let's start to, like, before you knew and, and when you knew. Because... When we talked, you were telling me that it seemed to me that you didn't really have time to think about yourself because you were taking care of your sister, taking care of your family. And let's let's talk about that. Well, I, first off, I started playing baseball when I was four years old, um, and I had a, a good amount of talent. So all through all through junior high school, high school, and and I subsequently played Foster University. Um, you know, I, I had baseball. I had to work. I, you know, had to take care of my sister. I had to take care of the house, you know, and I had good grades. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy. So pulling all of that, you know, dividing my time between all of those things didn't leave me with a lot of time for an active social life. You know, don't get me wrong. I went out, I had friends, you know, I did the movies and the bowling, you know, I hung out in the beach parking lot. Um, but you know, it was, it was always, you know, budgeted like okay you know i gotta be up for work at six o'clock on a saturday morning it's friday night i really gotta get home by one you know to make sure they, 
I didn't have the same kind of social life as, as a lot of my friends. And I ended up having a girl. I, you know, I, I met this girl, Brooke, who I thought I was head over heels in love with. And um, we were together on and off for almost four years, three years in, in high school and, and almost a year in college. And, um, you know, the, what would, what, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. looking back on it, we were best friends, Yeah. but the sex was amazing. Her family was very progressive. I'll never forget. I, I used to sleep over there all the time. But the first couple of times I slept over, we'd sleep downstairs in the family room and all of a sudden in the morning, the mom's coming down, you want pancakes, you want waffles. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm like, I just slept overnight with the daughter downstairs. Uh, are you really going to feed me or are you going to poison me? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> but then I kind of got used to it. And, um, but, you know, having the girlfriends and, and having, you know, my, my focus split in so many different directions, I really didn't have, you know, a lot of time to think about it. When I look back, there were certain things, you know, that like, oh, you know, you should have known by that. Uh, you should have known by that, but um, what were you know, what were some little moments like that 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 you look back and like you should have known by then? Uh, one of my best friends, you know, another baseball player, his name was Gerald, and uh, we were very very close. Um, you know, what's not quote unquote typical of two straight high school guys. We talked about everything. We slept at each other's houses. and But, you know, we'd lay in bed and, and we'd, you know, just boxers on and fall asleep. You know, one of us would wake up with the arm around the other one. But there was never anything sexual. It was just a very close relationship. And at one point, he ended up going out with a bunch of people, didn't invite me, blew me off, told me a story. And I took it really bad i was just like this is the end of i can't believe he did this i was like devastated um inside myself i didn't want to show it you know most people I was just, you know yeah he's a dick uh, i don't talk to gerald no more but inside myself i was like dying and you know when i look back on it i'm like oh you know i guess i had you know feelings for him i guess i had a crush on him mm-hmm. um you know i'll tell you another one I, I was a huge madonna fan like hello strike a pose I should, you know somebody should have pointed out to me you know you like vogue a little too much <laughs> 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 but um my uh my mother who i mentioned was an alcoholic um decided to to torture me and punish me one year the night of the video music awards and you know forbid me and it, it was a year that she was performing janet jackson was performing so it was like yeah man this is gonna be a hot show um i snuck down to the basement saw three quarters of the show before i got caught but then i was punished for like two weeks and you know the level of of involvement that i had with with that era of music you know nobody just released an album it was a project you know rhythm nation 1814 there were fucking uniforms and everything i mean you know <laughs> if you go back and watch that video you know it, it was like and she dressed like that for the entire kind of, you know, period of those, those singles. It's like, and so the performance was all, and I, I mean, literally I wanted my own 1814 outfit. I wanted the hat. I wanted the clips. I wanted the military jacket, but you know, I didn't know that, you know, I actually wanted to be in the video and do some of them moves too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I found out in the clubs a little bit later on. <laughs> So that that's that that's where damn like, a boy can move. That's where you didn't have have time to think about yourself, right? And like, what you want? You just 
your 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 attention was spread out to everything else. Yeah, and you know, honestly, music was was an escape. Um, and so, you know, I I felt like at that point it was like a lifeline. You know, it was where I could make the voices stop. You know, make make all the pressure go away for you know for forty five minutes listening to a CD or for you know I, I used to put. I used to put my headphones on and, and get on my bike and just fucking ride for like an hour just to blow off the pressure. Um, you know, but in my head, I was at Madison Square Garden performing. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. You know, yeah. you know, looking back on things like that, they were definitely clues as to, you know, hey, um, you know, there's this side of you that wants that wants to come forward. It wants to come out. It wants it wants to breathe and 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 be alive but you know i didn't just didn't have the the time or the or the know-how and in the family you know that i grew up in 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 staten island in the area that we grew up in it wasn't okay to be gay in other areas in new york it was Mm -hmm. um you know i'm at that i'm at that generation that was at the cusp of a couple years later you know there are guys and guys at the prom and you know I, in my you know in my graduating class, if you don't went to the prom, you got ass beat, both of you. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that's right, but that's that's what it was, you know, at the in time. my period. Yeah. In my, yeah, you know, the internet was around, but it wasn't it wasn't as popular as it was. I mean, if you wanted porn, you had to go to the you had to go to the the, the deli and go around that magazine rack that was always facing the back. It was always basically up against the wall, you know, and all the backside of it was all porn. But gay porn was the bottom shelf. It was all wrapped up. You know, you couldn't see what was inside. You just took the magazine up, you know, and they shoved it in a brown paper bag and was like, get out, get out. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so it wasn't, it really wasn't until college when I started meeting a lot of different kinds of people and, and certain experiences that, that, you know, I got to delve into and, 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 and experience the things that were inside me that I didn't, really know where they're or, or didn't have the time to understand where they're. So you say, um, until you got to college and you didn't, you, you went to college upstate, right? Or where'd you go to college? Um, I went to college in Long Island. It's Hofstra university. It's, uh, probably about 20 minutes into the Island. Okay. So and, um, you, it's okay. So where you grew up, uh, your family, you know, conservative at the most part, not the usual conservative, but all that. And like, porn being like the gay porn being wrapped up you think all that kind of also played a role in in you not figuring yourself out until you got out of that situation when you went to college um you know the thing with gerald happened in my junior year mm-hmm. and then we ended up speaking again in october of senior year like we didn't speak the whole summer nothing and we were literally you know like brothers almost and so after that I kind of started to know, um, but of course I didn't want to know. And, you know, like I said, I, the sex, <laughs> the sex was, you know, it was young. I, I was young. I didn't have anything to compare it to, but it was <laughs> really good for what it was. So I'm saying to myself, okay, you know, yeah, you might have this little weirdness going on with him, but, you know, Brooke, y- y- y'all don't rock the damn basement. Um, you know, so no, this can't be what it is you know, you're doing it with Brooke five times a week. Yeah. Nah, I can't be that. Um, and honestly, I, I, 
my coming out to myself, I, you know, obviously you already know the story, but I'll tell it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, my coming out to myself was, was most definitely a, a weird experience. I, um, I went to, to school in Long Island. She went up the state to Syracuse and, um, she ended up rushing a sorority and, and, um, and they were having a formal, I played baseball, so I wasn't going to be able to go, but I arranged it, you know, um, borrowed a car from a friend's cause as a freshman on campus, you couldn't have a car. Um, you know, and literally drove up after my game changed as, you know, as quickly as I could have drove up to Syracuse and I was going to, you know, pop in halfway through the formal. Well, surprise, surprise. I popped out, I popped in and she was making out with some guy. Um, you know, that rocked my world. I, I was, I, I couldn't believe it. And, um, you know, I had a couple of friends up at Syracuse and I had already driven, you know, four and a half hours. I was not going to turn around and drive back home. So I stayed overnight with another friend of mine and really the universe. And I'll probably say this a few times in the podcast. The universe is a very strange animal. Uh, the next day, as I was heading back to my car, the car that I borrowed, I should say, I ran into this guy. And he's like, yo, I'm so sorry, bro. I, I really didn't know and this and that. And I could feel it. I could feel the vibe. I could feel the way he was looking at me. And, you know, I kind of played it off. I'm like, you know, she's in cons. I can't believe she did. Oh, yeah, I can say, I can curse, right? Um, yeah, I can't believe she did this, this and that. And he's like, yo, you want to smoke? And uh, I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thinking to my head, okay, you know. What exactly can I do with this? Well, it was, you know, cell phones at that point were not as, you know, they were not the norm. Not everybody had them. Um, beepers were still more, the more the prevalent thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, we, I had like an alpha, uh, an alpha page or so that she, so I sent the alpha, the alpha message once I was already in his dorm room smoking and this and that. And, um, you know, we kind of got down. <laughs> 45 minutes later there's a knock on the door and he's going oh shit oh fuck who's there it's Brooke oh shit bro what are we gonna do I got up shirtless hands hanging open open the door hey girl what's up (laughs) (laughs) she starts flipping out I went and put my shirt on you know I said a couple of choice things you know well I don't see what all the hype is about but uh, obviously I think I'm better than his and whatever however I said it which really, you know, it was really bad for me to do to him. But, you know, at that point, I wasn't thinking, you know, I definitely wasn't thinking what the top head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and, you, but, and um, is that is that your, your coming out moment to yourself? It was the first time that I did anything. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty much. How did that feel? Like, like put the, like the feelings of, of Brooke and, and like what she did and what you did aside, but like just the feelings of you know, telling yourself and admitting to yourself, how did that feel to you? Um, well, you know, in stages as it was happening, you know, well, first off, you know, he was adorable. Um, you know, in the intensity of, of the, the hookup was so different. Um, and so, you know, I was like, Oh my God, wow this is good um you know later on i I, as i was analyzing it driving back to someone island for four and a half hours i was like oh (laughs) crap well 
I can't unknow this now. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it wasn't quite that fluid, you know, but basically it was, it was like, you know, damn, I, I, it's not, um, you know, maybe am I, it's, I, I guess I am, um, you know, and, and I didn't do the whole bisexual thing for very long. Um, you know, once I had another hookup, it was like, yeah, this is, you know, this is what's been missing. I didn't know it was missing, but this is what's been missing. And boom, you know, like I didn't want to play the game. Like, um, but in the moment with him, it was all about revenge. I couldn't wait for him to knock on that door. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I guess I watched a little too much 90210 at that point. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I thought I was some weird cross between Dylan and uh, Dylan and Valerie. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> honestly, oh yeah, yeah. So, but um, I got back to school and, you know, there was, an, there was this kid that I had hung out with a few times that I knew he was gay and I ended up talking to him and, and telling him what happened and this and that. Uh, for those of you that are that are familiar with with gay men, you know there's tops and bottoms or whatever. This one, he was, uh, I mean, he was the biggest flaming bottom. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, if you really want to know, you can fuck me. Um, <laughs> and I got my confirmation, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yep, yep. This is it. I don't want to be with you, you know, long term, but yep, yep, this is it. <laughs> how, how did that affect your, uh, God damn it. how did that affect your, uh, um, your friends, like your circle of friends? Because you were a jock, right? You, you played baseball. Yeah. Like, how did that affect, did that have any effect with your friends? That, like, once you knew to yourself, like, how did, how, what happened? Um, you know, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't go running around, you know, immediately, like, Hey, I tapped an ass and it was good. Yeah. You know, um, it, it slowly kind of evolved, um, as far as, you know, people that knew and when they knew. My teammates really were kind of the last to know. I sort of, I was so used to living a couple of different lives, you know, and merging them, you know, merging them and keeping them separate at the same time. Um, you know, especially, you know, family life at home and work life and school, um, were always three very separate entities. So it kind of went back into that mentality for a little while and, you know, did the whole AOL chat room thing and started talking to guys here and there. And I wouldn't meet anyone even like 10 miles radius of campus. Um, and I hooked up a few times, uh, you know, before I met, before I started, hanging out with somebody on campus. And, and when that happened, it slowly started to, at that point I had told a couple of friends, but honestly, you know, up at school, nothing. I, there was nothing, you know, I didn't lose any friends. There were a couple of people that were different, um, but they weren't, they weren't close friends anyway. So it really didn't matter that much. Um, I didn't bring it back home for a long while. Um, what, what year, you know, what year it, was this though? When you started bringing it back home, like when you told your parents or when, when you were in college? Um, I was in co I went, I graduated in 93, started college, September of 93. I wasn't until 95 that I that I started bringing it home. Um, the first person that I told was my sister and, uh, you know, she was cool with it. She, at that point she was already pregnant. Uh, my sister got knocked up at 16 <laughs> and became the golden child because she gave them a grandchild. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> um, but, uh, you know, in, in all of that was going on in the family, you know, my father had, my sister had been living with my mother. I had lived with my father. They split up, um, when I was a freshman in high school. And, uh, you know, my mother is obviously who she is. So at once my sister got to a certain point, she had lived in group homes for a little while. She'd run away, live with my aunt for a little while. And when she got pregnant, you know, my father was like, she's coming here. Um, you know, when you come home, you can stay unfinished, by the way, basement. Um, you know, we'll put a heater down there or whatever, but basically, you know, and it was sort of understood before I ever left that if I, if I'm going, I better make it work because, you know, basically there's not going to be a hometown tale. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that mean, but my father, my father wanted me, you know, my father was a plumber. Um, he ended up being a foreman for the city of New York housing authority. My father wanted me to learn a trade. He didn't think baseball was ever going to happen. And nobody in my family had a college degree. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was overreaching. That was, you know, that was me being, and I was accused of this a lot, you know, growing up that I I thought I was better than, you know, better than them or smarter than everyone else. And, you know, honestly, I kind of was, but I didn't try to make anyone else (laughs) feel that way. I just wanted more things than, than you you wanted to do better for yourself than everyone. Yeah. 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 Um, so when my sister told my dad, he told her, well, don't ever bring it here. Don't ever mention it. I don't want to know nothing. So, you know, him and I honestly, actually him and I never actually really had a conversation about it. You know, after my niece was born and things kind of, things kind of developed into a routine and stuff. It was known, you know, and once in a while he'd make like an off-color joke about like my people, but he wasn't being nasty. It was sort of his way of, of letting me know he knows and he's okay with it. Just don't, you know, bring it to him and make him deal with it. Yeah. Um, and I was fine with that. You know, I, I only had prior to the relationship I'm in now, I only had one serious relationship with a guy. Um, and honestly, I never wanted to bring somebody home. Um, so, you know, that that all worked well you know some of my cousins i knew weren't going to take it well so i lived a dual lifestyle you know at least at home for a long time um but yeah you know, it, it I, didn't i remember you saying this last time and I, I didn't even get to ask like you told me you told your mom your dad and your sister but anybody else in your family know um at that point no uh, a couple of my cousins that I was close to little by little, I sort of, you know, I did the whole, I think I might be bi thing, but at that point I already knew, you know, yeah. I, you know, I, yeah, I, I'm in gay town and, and it's good. Um, but you know, I kind of did the breaking it gently thing. Um, you know, and then once you're in your mid twenties, you know, going towards your late twenties and you haven't brought a girl around since high school, you know, everybody starts to everybody starts to to know, and they start to kind of talk about it. Um, nobody ever had the balls to actually come and ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I oh, you know what? I actually forgot to tell you this on the last podcast. Um, Christmas of two thousand and two. Um, right before Christmas, I stripped my hair completely. I bleached it with white, and then I had black tips. Um, and I picked the only royal blue, like not sequins, but like, you know, the kind of material that when you move it, like the light makes it look like it's shiny metal. Yeah. So I'm wearing this, I mean, tight, 
tight. You know, muscle, you know, nipple showing, tight jeans, <laughs> bleached blonde hair with black tips, and I walked in, Merry Christmas, you know, oh, and uh, you know, and it was like, yeah, somebody asked me, somebody asked me. Nobody ever did, but from that point forward, it was kind of they knew it was kind of known, yeah. yeah. And um, you know, the my father's side of the family, the ones that are more involved in the other family. Mm -hmm. Um, we were all, you know, scattered at that point, Uh, you know, the ones that were in that line of work were very close and tight knit with each other and the rest of us kind of went our own way. Yeah. And so I really didn't, I I just didn't have to deal with it. And like I said, you know, my first major relationship, I I was 28, um, before I, I dated somebody for more than three months. Um, and by that point, you know, there was no reason to bring them home. And, um, how, and how, when you told your mom, because I think I, I think I remember you telling me last podcast that at this point your your parents were divorced, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when you told your mom, like, how did that go? My mom, my mom is a is is a really weird animal. Um, she was crying, and then. I knew when you were five years old and I'm like, wait, 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 what? You know, <laughs> why didn't you tell me you could have saved me a year and a half of confusion? Um, <laughs> but she really didn't want to deal with it either. But then every once in a while, she'd have this moment where she wanted to be like the, the hip mom of the gay son. Um, I had a really close, I, I still, my best friend to this day, his name is Romeo. Um, her, she liked him. Um, so at one point, like she was inviting us to dinner and stuff, and like, is he the one? And I'm like, no, he's like a brother. I, like I couldn't imagine. No, oh my, you know, you sh- you should be together. You should stop sleeping with all these men. I'm like, how do you know how many men I'm sleeping with? <laughs> you know, yeah. And then when I would say something like that, she would backtrack and like, you know, that was the end of the conversation. Um, and so you know, I, I don't know. She, you know, to this day, like she's never met Gabriel. So, um, and the the opportunity came up twice. I, so I don't, I don't really. We're not close at all. She's a miserable, miserable person. Um, you know, yeah. and it is what it is. I, it doesn't. I, you know, I have a, a two aunts that I'm very, very close to. Love them. You know, love them like mothers. Um, my my friend structure is very good. My sister and I are very good. Uh, my cousin Dawn and I are very good. My cousin Tommy and I, and those are, those are, that's my family. The rest of them, they're family, but they're not my family. Talk uh, about, talk about like your, 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 your nieces and nephews. Um, because I thought that was really beautiful that, you know, how, yeah. Well, my sister, my sister gave birth at 16. Mm-hmm. Um, that was 1995. Um, and that was my niece, Jessica. And that changed everything. Um, you know, honestly, the father was not in the picture. Um, you know, when my nephew came along four years later, it was a different guy. He sort of kind of stepped up to be Jessica's father, but he was emotionally all over the place. So, you know, my dad and I kind of picked up the role. My dad was grandpa father and I was uncle father. You know, I did parent teachers and science projects. I took them, you know, 
I, I took them all the time in concerts and, you know, Blue's Clues Live and Beauty and the Beast <laughs> on Broadway. And every, you know, every summer we went to the water park two or three times. And I went to Sesame Play. And I did all the, you know, I did all the cool things that you want to do with kids. And I got to bring them home, you know, and drop them off where I'd have them sleep over my house and drop them off on, on Sunday morning, you know. Um, and, and it, it was amazing because I got to have the experience of, of helping to raise kids, you know, without actually having to be a full-time dad. Um, and also, you know, my father, where he lacked as a father, was an absolutely amazing, amazing, amazing granddad. You know, he was pop up. Yeah. Um, you know, and because of because of the kids, my father and I found a really comfortable friendship and you know, he passed away four years ago. Um, but I would say the last 15 years versus, you know, the first 20 years um, were night and day. You know, we didn't really talk about gay, um, but there was no reason to. Everything else, you know, we were really, really good friends. Um, you know, I, I had a father. I never really had a dad. And then I had a father who was a really good friend. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, I miss that man like crazy, honestly, I really do. But so you think, um, um your nieces and nephew or was like the, the glue that held you and your, your dad together basically. Or that, that made the bond stronger between you two. I think, you know, it forced us to deal with each other. um, you know, and, and my sister did a lot of running around at points in time where she wanted to be a kid again. And, you know, being a mother at 16, you know, at points in time, you kind of like explode a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and my dad and I had to pick up the pieces, you know, the slack and making, you know, lunches and sending him off to school and trying to get to work. And, all right, you're going to do this today and I'm going to do this tomorrow. And, you know, we were forced to deal with each other and, you know, wanting to make holidays and special occasions for the kids you know, you just, it wasn't anything, it wasn't anything that either one of us thought about. It just happened and, and it happened beautifully. Um, I don't, I think my father was the glue that held everything together. Um, you know, after he passed away, things got much horribly worse between, you know, myself and my mother and my mother and my sister. Um, most of the rest of the family kind of faded into the background besides the aunts and the cousins that we told you about everybody else kind of faded in the background because it was my father that kept bringing everyone together. My father made a holiday, you know, every holiday except for Easter. Easter, he took, he took us out because he, you know, he wasn't going to cook. Um, but he made every other holiday. He cooked every Sunday. You know, there were meatballs on the table every Sunday since the kids were born. Um, you know, and, and when, when that was gone, I mean, everything, everything changed. Um, yeah. So, um, at this point, you're a jock, you're in college. Um, what happened? Cause I mean, not, not to like rub salt in the wound, but you're not a, you're not a MLB star. You're not major league baseball right now. What happened? Yeah. So, um, when I was in high school, I had, uh, an accident. I was riding bikes with my sister and, and this girl that was drinking a McDonald's shake, wasn't paying attention. I got hit and I had minor knee damage. Um, my senior year in college, I already had signed a, a contract with a minor league team. And 
was preparing to to move into you know the baseball world, I blew out my knee, um, sliding, <laughs> literally sliding into home plate. Um, got caught on the catcher, and we fell. He fell over me, pulling my knee back, and that was that my knee was gone. Oh um, shit! You didn't say that last podcast. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> yeah. Damn. Um. Yeah, I, I heard and felt in that moment and knew, ah, uh, fuck, That's, this is it. Uh, you know, of course, I, I, I had two surgeries, and, and I'm fine. I don't limp or anything, but the that one magic component that I was never great, but I was a really, really good player. Um, that one magic component was gone. Um, you know, the stress the stress on the knee would, you know, even with physical therapy, like I knew, you know, they, they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna insure me. This part of the career is over. I could, you know, work for two years, uh, you know, with building up the strength and all that. But if, if I was only good, now I'm gonna have to work all day, every day to maintain being good. And I'll never have the opportunity of being great. And I, it hurt and it was, it was, you know, the first kind of really like, you know, major thing that I had to look at and say, wow, you know, what am I going to do from here? Um, but, I, you know, I always maintain my grades. I graduated with a 385, um, you know, my, my uh, Your GPA, you know, yeah. Um, you know, and I was going for recreational therapy. So I was working in retail and doing early intervention with autistic kids. Uh, and doing really well in retail, you know, when you do well and you start managing a store, you get all these bonuses and stuff. So I was making good money there and still wanting to do, you know, what I went to school for, but the money was horrible. The amount of work that you have to take home, any teacher will tell you, you, you have to absolutely love it to stay sane and do it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I didn't actually love it. Um, I loved helping kids. I loved helping families, but it wasn't my passion. Um, and I, I had always written, and um, uh, so in 1999, I started writing um, op-ed pieces for The Village Voice, and then a year and a half later, they actually hired me. I worked for them for almost two years, and I had Hunter had uh, contacted me to work for the Associated Press, and at that point, I was really, really happy. The Village Voice is a really well-known paper. Um, you know, it's the New York art scene, the, the culture and so on, and people from all over the country subscribe to it. Uh, so I was really happy, I, you know, but the money wasn't that great. So I said to myself, I'm going to throw everything I could possibly think of that I want in my, you know, in what I'm going to ask for, knowing that they, they weren't going to come back and hire me, but they did. They gave me everything, including the money that I asked for. And I was like, do you oh. remember some of the um, things that you asked for, like some of the outrageous things that you you thought that they wouldn't give you? What were some of the things that you asked for? Well, I didn't want to have to come into I didn't want to have to come into the office five days a week. I don't write well, like none of the none of the pieces that I actually did for the voice did I write in the office. Um, I don't write well in that kind of setting, so I wanted to be able to work home from home for three days. I, and I thought, you know, as a rookie coming in, there's no way they're going to give me this. The salary that I asked for was outrageous. Um, I wanted, you know, I wanted a guaranteed uh, structure for, you know, social events. I was coming in as an arts, culture, and entertainment uh, writer at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wanted guaranteed, I wanted to do the Grammys. I wanted to do the Golden Globes. 
Uh, and I wanted that all written into my contract because I didn't want to have to bid for that kind of shit. Uh, and they gave me everything I wanted. And I was just like, wow, okay. Um, I guess I'm good. <laughs> you know, and, and um, you know, a year and a half later, I was running the format. I was the East Coast Entertainment Editor. And this was um, in 2002? Still right? writing. Uh, yeah, this was 2002, 2003. Okay. Let, let's go back a little bit, just one year, because I, I love your story when you told me last time what happened a year ago before that. Oof. All right. Well, um, you know, and we're kind of going through a different version of the same thing right now. Um, 9-11 happened to me. It happened to New York. I actually lost a cousin and two other close people. I was on the Staten Island Ferry, which goes from, you know, Staten Island to downtown Manhattan, which literally, you know, when you when you were heading, you saw the Twin Towers, you know, from the moment the ferry left Staten Island, you know, that's what you were going towards. You were pulling in, you know, three and a half blocks from the Twin Towers. That's where the ferry lands. And, uh, you know, that was my my morning commute into work was was, you know, like my I would ramp myself up. I always had music going in my, you know, in my earphones. Um and, you know, so I'm sitting there and I'm bumping. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> and all of a sudden I see, you know, and, and the ferry carries during rush hour, like two or 3,000 people each ride back and forth. Well, mm -hmm. really, you know, going to Manhattan and then rush hour home coming back. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden there's hundreds of people that are running to, towards the front of the boat. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And as I, you know, as I got to the front, you could see the, the 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 smoke coming where the, the first plane had hit, and the ferry stopped dead. A hundred and I think it was a hundred and two years at that point that the ferry had been running. It had never stopped. It had never ever stopped. It stopped dead in the water, and we sat there for a, a little over twenty minutes. The second plane hit. I saw the second plane hit, and then an announcement was made that we would be returning to to Staten Island, and, and the ferry started, you know. Started in Manhattan, were you know they were cut off for, for, until further notice. Yeah. Um. You know, as as uh, we docked, we all kind of just shuffled off the boat and out to. There's walking paths along like the shoreline next to the ferry, and we all kind of shuffled watching. And when I tell you that that phrase, you could hear a pen drop. People were silently crying, and and like you didn't understand what the fuck was going on. All of a sudden. You know, you could see, you could see the people jumping out of the window. You could see the, you oh, know, the shit. shadow of, yeah, you, you know, and, and you kind of know what it is. Like your brain doesn't tell you what it is immediately. You're kind of watching and you're like, oh, oh God, that's somebody jumping. You know, like it's, I can only explain like when they show slow motion in a movie, like when a person is realizing something in that whole slow motion kind of thing. Yeah. That's what it felt like. I saw people crying. But the tears were coming down inordinately slow, you know, looking at, and then the first towel went down and it was just. And you saw that there you saw no, the first tower go down? Yeah, I saw, I saw both towers go down. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. And there's there's no way to describe it. There is. There, it, 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 it's it. What was what was your, they were there like, my your, whole life? What was your thought? Like you're feeling your emotion going on inside you. What was going on? You know what the fuck is going on? You know, are we under attack? Um, 
it, this can't, honestly, mostly this can't be. This can't be happening. This can't be happening, but I'm watching it. It's happening, but this can't be happening. Um, you know, there weren't, you know, like I said, there, you know, there weren't cell phones in the, you know, in the norm at that point, you know, business people had them, people had, you know, had money and just wanted to show off at them, but not every, you know, and even then, like, you know, alerts and stuff like that, that, you know, so we didn't see, you know, there was no news. We didn't know what was going on. And then I finally went back to my car and, you know, started to hear the news and, and the, you know, the fact that there was another plane and, uh, you know, I, I, Believe it or not, I immediately drove to my mom because I was just, I, I was so shocked. Um, you know, she wasn't, uh, cool. And, and, you know, from there I went and picked my niece up from school, um, from daycare and, uh, and, uh, brought her home and, and waited for, for my father to get home from work. But he was in the city and, we didn't realize, like, we started to hear around five or six o'clock that, you know, all subways, it, it, Bridget, like, you couldn't get in and out of Manhattan. Car, bus, train, you could not get in and out of Manhattan. It was locked down. Um, and my dad didn't end up getting out of Manhattan that night until, like, two, three o'clock in the morning. He had to walk over the Brooklyn Bridge, find a payphone, and then he called one of my aunts to come pick him up. Um... So all those hours of, you know, just watching the coverage and trying to keep, you know, my niece and, and my nephew was a baby at the time, uh, you know, my second nephew, um, you know, trying to keep them entertained and occupied and trying to find out, uh, you know, I lost a cousin, Kevin, trying to find out, you know, was he there? And it was surreal. It was, it was absolutely surreal. And, and, uh, you know, for for my generation, you know, 9-11 and Sandy and now this, you know, for my parents' generation, it was, you know, Kennedy and Vietnam and, you know, and 9-11, I guess, you know, generations overlap. Um, but this was the first challenger, actually, really. I remember I was in second grade, maybe third grade um, when the challenger and, and we were actually watching it you know, in class, uh, and immediately they shut that off, but that was a big thing. So, yeah. you know, but I was a little kid. It didn't, you know, it didn't kind of, and it was people far away. It had nothing to do with me. Um, this was, this was my city. This is, this is, you know, and I had people, um, but the city really, the city really came together in a way, you know, people like, Oh, you know, New Yorkers are brash and they're rude and this and that. I, I never really thought that New Yorkers are rude. It's just, you know, it's a much fast, much faster paced way of living, even from some other cities. Yeah. You know, you know, places like Atlanta or Charleston or Boston, you know, and, it, and it's definitely a slower lifestyle. New York, Chicago, LA are, are very fast paced living. Um, but everything slowed down and everybody, you know, New York became one huge family for a couple of years. It was that way. And, uh, you know, I was telling you in the last podcast, you, I, I was, had to go back to work like five or six days later. It was definitely into the next week. And um, lower Manhattan, you couldn't get the, the because of the way the way the subway systems work, um, they all pass under mm -hmm. and the buildings fell into into the subway system, you know, so 
nothing could come down. So we had to walk. Um, and then they, they eventually, a couple of days later after that, established shuttle buses that would take you from the ferry up to the first train station that was still running. But for the first couple of days, we had to walk through downtown Manhattan and the debris was, was up to almost my knee in places. And it, it was, it, it was so surreal, ash and, and paper and, and, uh, you know, like wall fillings and shit. And then out of nowhere, you'd see a phone fully intact, you know, not melted, not just laying there. Like one of those, you know, business phones with all the lines and buttons and shit. Yeah. Just laying there. And it's like, wow, you know, why did that thing make it? It just, it was just surreal. It was surreal for a really long, long time. Um, what, what was going through your head? Because you said you didn't, your dad had to walk and didn't get a phone call until like two in the morning. Did did you have any contact with your dad before then? Um, no. Yeah, my dad okay? got a my dad got a call through around six o'clock, okay. uh, saying that he was stuck. You know, and, oh, and they shut down communications. Like they shut down. Well, one of the cell phone towers was the main cell phone towers on top of Tower Two, yeah. uh, Twin Tower Two. Um, so that that probably shut down people and phone communications for a good portion. But they, I think because they didn't know what was going on. For a bunch of hours, they just shut down everything. Um, my father did get a call through around six o'clock, um, and you could barely—it was like talking to someone overseas. You could barely hear him, and he was like, We're, "I'm stuck here. I'm gonna—I'll be home whenever I get home, but I'm—I'm I'm okay." Uh, you know, which was a relief. And at that point, we we're all focused on my cousin Kevin. And, you know, and that's, um, that's your cousin that didn't make it. Yeah. Or? And how'd you find out about on, him? He was on the 48th floor. Um, we didn't know for days, honestly. Um, we didn't know for days, for sure. But, you know, after two days, you know, when they started, you know, when they started releasing, because a lot of people, a lot of people that got out of the towers were sent to hospitals and so on and so forth. And um, gym, a gym in a high school. So, you know, for the first day and a half, like you didn't, you didn't know who made it out. It, it was, it, we didn't know for sure for like three days. Um, and at that point it was, uh, it was devastating. My, my cousin, my cousin was 27. Were you close um, to him? Um, no, honestly, no. Um, you know, he's my cousin and I love him and I cared about him, but we weren't close. Yeah. Man, that's, that's tough. Yeah, my father. Um, my father actually worked clean, you know, in the cleanup in the in the for about a month, and uh, the things he saw, and you know, but that's that's New York, you know. City employees, city employees were if they were non um, non essential, they were asked, you know, either to, you know, either to come work at Ground Zero. And, and try to get the city back up and running and back to normal as that you know as best as possible, or you know stay home for a while. Yeah. And uh, you know my father was that kind of man. He, he immediately went to one interaction. And there was um, I want you to tell the listeners that that certain smell that you just won't ever forget. Yeah, it, the when I, the first day that I went back to work and we got off, uh, you know, off the ferry. Actually, you know. It, two sets of smells. The the first smell, you know, on Staten Island, 
when the wind, you know, as the tower was coming down, it was like, you ever go past the construction site, you know, where they're doing like sheetrock and stuff? Yeah. It was that mixed, like you could smell the fire and the fuel mixed with like building, like the building kind of smell. Yeah. But, <clears throat> excuse me. But, um, getting off the ferry, um, for a good couple of months, there was this, it, it was the smell of, 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 you could smell flash, burnt burn flash. You could smell, you know, gasoline, metal, and flesh. And there's no mistaking it. There's no mistaking the smell. And, and that hung, it hung for, you know, maybe months is an exaggeration. Maybe it was, it was weeks, but you know, it was there for a while, for a long while. Yeah. Um, you know, when, yeah, I mean, the trains didn't come back to lower Manhattan for good, like four months, it, you know, and, and then it was a temporary situation. They literally had to dig the tunnels out and put temporary and they had to rebuild all of those stations. Um, and then they had to do it again after Sandy, by the way. But, um, you know, it took, it, it took weeks just to, just to, to tunnel out the trains and to, and so all that debris, they were putting it on barges and sending it to, uh, dumps in Virginia. They, the, the wreckage was going to a lot of different places, but it, you know, it carried that smell for, for, for a while. What was the feeling like in New York? Because we saw it throughout the TV, through the news, that like everyone was coming together. But what was the feeling in New York at that time as you were living there? What What was that like after that happened? An immense amount of of uh, you know, how could this be? Why did this happen? Um, you know, everybody knew someone or knew someone that that knew someone. You know, there was no six six degrees of separation. At, at best, it was two or three degrees of separation. So, you know, I mean, there were funerals going on for, for weeks. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of, of like, we got to get them. Um, there was a lot of, they're never going to get us again. Um, but like I said, you know, New York became friendlier. Uh, not friendlier. That's not the right way to put it. Um, humbled. It, it was just this humbled, yeah. But we all became. Everybody in New York was was part of a New York family. You know, it. it you were a New Yorker. You know. Yeah. We can live through anything, and and together we're strong. And, and I know I'm romanticizing it to a certain extent, but but not really. You know, it it, it it pulled it pulled the city together. It made us one, you know, one big family. It really did. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I know the feeling. I, I know how you what you say you're kind of romanticizing it, but not really because. Hurricane Harvey hit us, uh, Texas and in Houston, and then all the other smaller cities in, in South South Texas, and all of Texas came together. Like there was convoys and convoys of people going down to the help, and I know that feeling of coming together. And it's like you said, it's kind of romanticizing it, but not really. It's it really happened, you know, and it's just that sense of feeling that we all just came together. And it's it's a weird feeling. It's hard to explain, but 
I know exactly what you're talking about. But um, with that being said, was was there any anger at all to like once once the news came out of who did it and what happened? Um, you know, it depends on what New York you ask, and mm-hmm. and that's God's honest truth. Um, you know, there was an overall feeling of you know these bastards. Um, yes, but. I, you know, it was more, more like they're never going to get us like this again. You know, you know, get us one shame on you, get us again and shame on us. Um, you know, I, I, you know, there are families that lost two and three people. Yeah. Um, I, I think for them, you know, for, for, you know, women that, that had one or two young children at home, you know, it, it's different. It's different for everybody. Um, but overall, no, there wasn't this, this, you know, outrageous anger. It was more an, an immense sadness and, and, uh, we're New York. We'll get through this and you're never going to get us again. Um, kind of feeling. When did, um, when did everything get built back up and what was that feeling when, you know, everything was uh for the lack of a better term uh back to normal again it never has <laughs> <laughs> it never has um you know for those of us that you know for those of us that my age and and older um and, and even if you know even maybe 10 years younger than me you know where you lived a, a significant portion of your life and those two towers were everything they were the symbol of New York. Um, you know, that, that, that whole area of downtown and, and you're talking, you know, five city square blocks, um, was, it was boarded off for, for years. Um, but more than that, you know, they took, they took our symbol away. You know, it wasn't only the symbol of, of, of New York. It was the symbol of America. You know, the the only thing that would have made it worse is if they happened to take out Lady Liberty too. Yeah. Um, you know, you know when the when the Freedom Tower was finally completed, maybe, you know, maybe that was a semi. But for those of us that lived through it, no, it it, it, it never quite it never quite went back. Um, but it was only a month or so before the city was fully back up and, and running. I mean, Wall Street was open two days later, um, which it, that's only, you know, five or six blocks from, from ground zero. Um, you know, the city itself, you know, the, it, you can't take this city down. You need, you know, but you, you know, you need an atom bomb. You can't take this city down. Um, but the feeling of, of, safety and and you know it's different for everybody for some of us it'll never it'll never be the same um you know yeah okay so this happened and you right now you're working at uh for the associated press correct in 2002 no no at that point i was still working for the voice okay you're working for the voice but in 2000 when did when did you start working for the associated press uh, the end of 2002. Okay, so from then on, what yeah. happened? What, what was going on in your life after that? 
Well, I was <laughs> I was an entertainment reporter, um, arts and culture as well, but and some science stuff, but mostly an entertainment reporter. And and the bigger, you know, the bigger the internet got, the bigger that you know, um, blogging and and all that got. The more and more entertainment took over, you know, took. At, when I when I left four years ago because of the ice, the entertainment division made double what the rest of all the other divisions of the company taking out sports made double putting all the other divisions together because people want to hear about Kardashians. They want to hear about Whitney Houston. They want to hear about Lindsay. Um, you know, and, and that became my life. Um, I went to fabulous events. I saw, I saw and did amazing, amazing things. I did some good writing. Um, and, and lived large. I, I really had a really good life. Did you um, meet any celebrities? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> right, we want to um, hear the long list. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I'll give you the short list. Some uh. memorable ones. I, <laughs> I, I spent a, a day with Scary Carrie, um, and <laughs> I was supposed to I was supposed to write an album review for her E equals MC squared album, mm. and um, and I knew it wasn't going to go well. From they sent a flash drive at that point. Um, they sent a flash drive with only four songs on it and wanted me to write an album review based on those four songs. And I'm like, you know, I really can't do this. Um, you know, and, and I kind of haggled back and forth with, you know, with the, the PR people and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then I spent a day with her trying to get an article and, and on the first time she made me wait for like an hour and a half. And, um, you know, when she finally comes into the room, she's all like, you know, and Mariah's not having the greatest of days today. I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, you know, I'll try to make this as, as painless as possible. And she starts telling me that her, her songs are bodiless angels. They're just head with wings and they fly around her. And when they're ready to be born in the world, when they know that someone in the world is waiting for that message, they, they whisper, sometimes they yell in her ear and they're very insistent. And that's when she knows the chance to record the song. And I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I'm very gently, I'm like, this is, this is the process. And, and I get that, but did you, you know, did you want to tell me that a little bit differently? I, 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 I can't in good faith print this. Oh no, my lambly. Apparently her, her, her lambs, you know, like monster, you know, Gaga has the monsters. So her lambly, her, her lambs are, are her family. Mm. Her lambly understands and they, they, they know about it. Oh, okay, so you know, ten minutes later, as uh, you know, as I was leaving, the, the little PR woman starts running after me. She's like, "Oh my god!" And and um, what exactly are you going to write? And I'm like, "I, I have no idea. I have no workable material here." <laughs> and, she's like, and she's like, "Well, you know," and this was supposed to be this was supposed to be actually a cover story for Entertainment Weekly. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "You know what? Here's my questions that I wanted to ask you guys." put together responses and I will just write an article based upon that um, because I don't know what to do with this. This is, this is batshit crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, on the other hand, I spent a day with Gwen Stefani. Um, I was actually out in Los Angeles at the time I was covering an event out there and, and also doing an article on Gwen Stefani and we went horseback riding. She made me food. We went into a bar that I, you know, and it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal. I mean, that's the woman. The woman is just what you see. 
is what is is who she is. She's freaking awesome. Um, you know, and that's 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 how it goes. You know, I, I've done a lot of red carpet stuff. I, you know, I I've, I've been in conversations, but you know, it's not. You know, it it's, it becomes run of the mill. You know, hey, yeah. that's Celine Dion. Hey, you know. What is one of your like most um, memorable memorable moments that you've had working working or doing that? Uh, well, definitely going Stefani for sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, and definitely Mariah in you know in the other vein. Um, one of my most memorable. Moments. Okay, so every year, um, Broadway performers from all the different shows, uh, they do a charity show in Times Square, like live out. You know, they build a stage and all that right out in Times Square. It's you know equity. Um, you know, for a long time it was to fight HIV, but now they've branched out into you know into supporting other charities. Um. You know, and um, I, I don't know if you if you know the name Ryan White. Mm, um, he was sounds familiar. He was a young kid. Um, he was in high school, and he got HIV through a blood transfusion. And so, oh yeah, you know they yeah. And, yeah. He subsequently passed away. Um, you know, and it was it was the ten or fifteen year anniversary, you know, of of his passing. Um. You know, so they're doing this this phenomenal show. You know, one number from each Broadway show that was popular at the time. Mamma Mia was out then, and um, the Phantom of the Opera, and you know all these all these great shows. And they were honoring the Ryan White Foundation. You know, and his sister was there reading passages from you know from his diary and, and his last you know his last two years. You know, and being an advocate for you know for, for HIV and and. Um, you know, and so I got to write an article um, about it, and you know, we were sitting and talking, and you know, being being LGBT, that you know, it really it really hit home. You know, I you know just kind of missed the generation where everybody that got it died. You know, yeah. Um. So I, I knew, you know, I knew a lot of people that lost people, but you know, it really wasn't it wasn't my generation. It didn't, you know, but hearing you know, that and, and, and sitting, you know, I was sitting with like 15, you know, people that had been, that had been huge in the, in activism. And, and um, uh, this one guy, Arthur, who was one of the first people ever diagnosed and for whatever reason, thank, you know, for him, thank God meds worked for him. And, and, you know, he actually died two years ago. He, he lived to be 78 years old, Um, you know, but sitting with them and, and hearing, you know, the early days and the stories and I'm, you know, it's, that's something, you know, you don't get, you don't get moments like that in life, often in life. And, and you don't walk away, not, not feeling changed and not feeling, you know, just change. Did you, um, um, you said like the HIV uh, moments and the, 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 tough rough moments of lgbt new york um lgbt i said p for some reason um you told me and when we first recorded that you didn't go through that but uh, that the listeners like what exactly did you go through that are hearing it for the first time um in in that specific specific moment or when i came out like uh i guess like through all through all of um 
up until that point because i mean we we see it on tv we see the news we see documentaries where lgbt um the community in new york was you know people were getting murdered hiv was out people were being discriminated against like it was bad like even in the 90s where um i think it was the late 90s where mtv came out i mean not mtv came out um real world came out and one of the um yeah pedro yeah pedro and he ended yeah. up having hiv correct right yeah. yeah yeah like so like yeah. it was it was like there was a stigma about gay people in new york so what was you didn't go through any of that correct um not really uh you know honestly when i was back on staten island um you know there was that duality of of life i never hid who i was but you know i never lived with like hey i'm anthony i like ass <laughs> and once in a while, I'll take dick too. You yeah. know, it just, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't my persona. Um, you know, and, and back in, in my 20s, when I was still, you know, somewhat a jock boy, it was like, you know, when I hear, nah, you're not gay, you're gay, bro. Like, you know, I, that was like a badge of honor. Um, but no, none of it, you know, I, I started clubbing, you know, my last year of high school, but really once I got to college, you know, it was like, yeah, let's go into that. I always climb like the tunnel, all of these, you know, very gay friendly, if not, you know, like, um, uncle Charlie's was straight up a gay dance club. Um, and at that point, <coughs> excuse me, You're good. at that point, you know, they were ha- what they would call it the house of the house of Aviance and the house of, of Mecca. And, and, you know, there were these clicks of, of, you know, usually led by either a drag mama or, you know, someone who was very, you know, high in the, the club scene world. And that was one world, but then they put on a suit and tie and went to work the next day, just like me. Well, I didn't put on a suit and tie, but, you know, like you had your club life and then you had your the rest of your regular life. Um, I never experienced, thank God, any true homophobia. I was never, you know, hit, beat, chased. Um, you know, I was never completely disowned by anyone. But there were definitely, you know, there were areas of Staten Island that, you know, I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't walk down or sit even on the porch, like holding hands with a guy or anything, because it was still very, you know, um, not okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but then everything was, everything was so rapidly changing. Like I said, you know, five years after, after I graduated, I heard about guys, you know, guys taking their boyfriend to Para. Um, you know, whereas when I was in high school, if I, if somebody would have went to prom with their, you know, if a guy would have went to prom with a boyfriend, the two of them were getting beat the fuck up. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that that's okay. It's not okay in any way, shape or form, but that's the world. That's the world that I lived in at that point. Um, you know, I, I know back in the, you know, in the seventies and, and early eighties, you know, you really had to hide and you'd have to go, you know, You'd have to kind of sneak in and out of these bars and clubs if you were in the financial world or if you were in the real estate world, you know, so on and so forth. You know, if you were found out to be gay, your career was over, too. I, I didn't know anything like that. Um, you know, in the city, the city itself is such a, you know, a mecca for, you know, be who you are and, and do, you know, do what you want to do. You know, the pockets that are in Queens and Brooklyn and Staten Island they're actually not the norm, um, you know, for the city itself. And, uh, you know, I, I actually, 
I actually don't even know anyone that I grew up with, went to school with, um, you know, that ended up being gay. I don't know anyone that, that had a horrible experience. Some had it harder than others, you know, as far as family and friends, but nobody got, you know, no one that I know ever got bashed or beaten or, and I, you know, I can only say that's thanks, that's thanks to being in New York. You know, yeah. if I lived in, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, it would have been a whole different scenario. So, yeah. okay, let's um, move on forward. So you were, I guess you were working in Associated Press. You were hanging out with Gun Stefani, Scary Carrie, all that. <laughs> <laughs> living, this, living the lifestyle. What what was going on in your life after that? Like, when did Hurricane Sandy hit? What, 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 what was going on with you, your parents, and all that good stuff? Um. So when Hurricane Sandy hit, I lived in a cottage about four blocks off the beach. The year before, we had Hurricane Irene, um, you know, and they evacuated everybody and said it was going to be bad and so on and so forth. And, and I went and I sat in a gym for a couple hours, a, a gym in a school, sat in a gym for a couple hours. And I went to one of my aunt's house and, you know, went home and there was like a foot of water. It was nothing. So when Sandy came along, I was like, yeah, okay. Um, I'm one of the idiots that stayed in my house. Um, subsequently, they had to rescue me in the cat by Robo. Um, my, my cottage was knocked off the foundation. It was condemned. I had to move. I ended up moving into a third floor apartment in a building because after that I was like, oh, hell no. Uh-uh. Nope. 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 Don't want to be on the ground floor. Don't want property. I don't want to have to, because it took insurance. And all. Oh my God, it was a nightmare. It was, it was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, that portion of it, but you know, thank God I was alive. The cat was alive. And honestly, I was smart enough to take, because just in case there was flooding, I took as much of what I could from the first floor to, I had a loft bedroom, completely open, you know, just a staircase up. Um, and I took as much as I could off the first floor to the loft bedroom. So I honestly didn't lose as much as a lot of other people did. Um, I mean, a couple of days later when we were able to go back and start, you know, going through our stuff and stuff, I mean, I walked past seven foot piles of, of you know, entire people's entire lives that were just gone. Um, and in that, you know, I, I honestly say I must have been born under a lucky star because I, I have been very lucky in life in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, my sister was still with the two kids living with my dad. Um, she had just started dating the guy that she's now married to. And, and subsequently, I have a, a third nephew who who's just turned six. Um, but they, you know, my sister was still living with my dad, dating Brian. Um, and they, they also, they lived four blocks from me. Um, they lost a good amount of stuff, but you know, we, we all had to move. We all had to find other places to live. Um, but at that point, you know, at that point, the family was good. You know, the only missing link was my mom. Um, you know, she showed up at holidays and once in a blue moon made a phone call or whatever, but, um, Family was good. And, uh, and what year was this again? Oh my God. Sandy was 12? 2012. So I think it was 12. Yeah. Okay. And then and four years after that, that's when, when, when did the, the I don't want to like spoil it for people, but when your father, what year was that? Uh, that was four years ago. That was 16. Okay. So you lost your vision at the same time, right? Yeah. Um, so 
just to, okay. So a couple of years before that, in 2000, and uh, Sandy was 12. So I think it was 2013. I, I loved whitewater rafting. Huge whitewater rafter for you know a good portion of my life, and unfortunately I had an accident. Um, whitewater rafting went in, hit my hand on a rock, and I had partial retina detachment. Everything was they put silicone in, the the retina reattached, not a problem. You know things were basically fine, but they they always told me that you know once the retina is de- detached, you know they're weak. They can always re re-detach, you know with any kind of trauma. Um, you know, but everything was fine. I, I modified. I didn't really. You know, I didn't do rapids in Colorado anymore, and I stopped bungee jumping, and I was still going to jump out of a plane, but, you know, I still haven't <laughs> done that yet, but I will. Um, my uh, my dad retired his birthday, October 24th of um, 15, and moved down to Virginia. My sister and, and Brian were living together at that point, and uh, they ended up going through some financial difficulties. Brian lost his job and they were facing eviction. So my father was basically moving them down to Virginia with him for a year uh, while they pulled themselves together and, and got themselves a house or, or whatever was going to happen. Uh, my sister moved down March 1st of 2016 and my father had um, a massive heart attack and, and died on March 24th, literally five months to the day he retired. Um, and so... I, uh, at that point I was working and I had had a, a case of shingles. It was in the back of my head, up my neck, in the back of my head and my scalp. What I did know is that it was also in my tissues in my head. It was in my ears. It was in my eyeball, you know, in the back of my eyeballs and in the brain tissue. And so my dad passed away and I immediately had to, to head down to Virginia, you know, to, to deal with things. And while I was down there, I started getting these horrible headaches and started seeing like flashes. And after like the third day of, of, you know, this going on, I'm like, you know, something's not right. I went to the emergency room and they literally, they were like, you have to leave here and go straight to a specialist. You know, where are you from? There's this thing, you know, you can go to the hospital in Richmond. And I'm like, if I'm going to go all the way to Richmond, I might as well go back to New York. Um, and I went directly to Mount Sinai, I New York, I here. And uh, I found out that the shingles were basically eating, attacking the retinas, um, basically eating it at the retinas. And uh, had a couple surgeries. And they put the silicone back in so it just shore up. But at that point, too much damage had been done. I had no sight in my right eye. I have no sight in my right eye, and I have light perception um, in my left eye. So what's what's your like? What's the I guess final diagnosis of your eye condition. What is your eye condition? Um, uh, uh, vitus something blindness due to an activation of shingles. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't have a, a recurring condition. I, I'm just blind, legally blind. I, I'm not actually fully blind because I have the light perception in the left eye and, and in darker like if, if it's dark out and the light is behind me, I actually can see a, a good amount out of the left eye. Um, light is the enemy because of all the scar tissue. Yeah. Yeah. How, what, what was your, what was going through your head? Because I mean, you had just lost your father and now you had just lost your vision. What, what um, that's like two things that you just lost. And 
what was going through your head? Well, you know, not not much as far as the the vision was concerned. Um, you know, first off, there was my mom and my sister definitely did not do the right thing with my dad's estate. There was a lot of issues around that, and I I was dealing with you know immediately you know I didn't lose the sight fully. Um, you know, March twenty fourth by April. By April 15th, I was basically where I am now. But, it, 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 you know, I was going for eye injections every other day. Um, you know, I had a surgery. They, they threw everything at it that they could. Um, you know, and then I had another surgery that summer, um, hoping to, like, scrape away some of the scar tissue. They were going to laser some of the scar tissue, do a cataract surgery, and hopefully get me some vision back in the left eye. Um, and, and they did, too. They, I got a little bit. You know, like I said, at night I can, but my brain, I was waiting for the miracle. Um, I was, one of these procedures was going to work. I was going to have enough vision to drive and, and still be able to work the job I was working. You know, it, it came to me differently in stages. You know, the, the biggest thing for the first couple of weeks was dealing with my dad's, you know, all that kind of shit and, and going for their injections, taking a leave of absence from work. And, you know, by mid-April, when I realized okay, you know, this is not going to be fixed now, you know, I immediately figured out, okay, well, you know, I can't live this way. I I need to be able to move. I need to be able to, you know, get around. So I I found a a mobility specialist and started doing that. Um, you know, like I told you in the other podcast, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that after my first mobility lesson, she told me, you know, I just, I only want you to go, you know, around the corner on this block where you know where you're going. It's going to be a while. I'm like, yeah, okay, I got this. And uh, I, of course, took myself, you know, to the closest deli, which happens to be on a very big main road in Staten Island. And I, once I crossed the street, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And, and, like, had the only panic attack. When I finally got back into my apartment, I, like, burst into tears. I was like, oh, God, my life is never going to be the same. Um, But it didn't – for for a good couple of months, I, I thought I was getting my sight back. Um, I, I did not want to accept that this was it. Um, and, you know, like I said earlier, the universe works in very strange ways. When I moved into that apartment after Sandy, there was a, another woman on my floor. Her name was Joanne, and, and she was blind. Um, and she basically for the last 20-something years has lived in that apartment and doesn't ever go anywhere doesn't she goes downstairs and sits on the stoop but somebody comes in and cares for her you know seven days a week eight hours a day they make her meals they 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 do everything for her she doesn't do anything and in the back of my head i immediately knew i i I don't want to be her you know i'm 40 years old no no no, this can't happen No, no, no 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 and so you know, I immediately started to, you know, mobility and, and try to figure out, you know, how to live. And, and, and you know, at least while I was still going to be blind. And, uh, you know, as the months went on and, and there were no more procedures to, to try out, and, you know, um, I mean, you know, I had heard about a microchip that they put, you know, in the brain that actually reads. It, you're not actually seeing. It's reading I don't, you know, oh, no, they, they're not doing it here. It's in trials. Okay, you can't have that. 
um, stuff with stem cell that they're doing in France. Well, they're not doing that here either. And if you want to go over there, it's going to cost you $28,000. You know, so like finally I had to say, okay, well, you know, if the miracle comes along in a year or two or three years, you know, and they find the cure, um, great. But, you know, I still got to live, I got to work. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a, a kind of a step-by-step process that, that had no plan to it. And I'm a Virgo and very inattentive. So I need a plan. I need, you know, plan of action, an outline, so on and so forth. And I was basically kind of just flying by the seat of my pants day to day and trying to figure it out. Um, did you have time to you know, grieve? Did you have time to grieve for your your father's death? Because this was like right when it happened, right? You you started getting shingles when, when your dad passed away at the funeral. Yeah. You know, honestly, yes, I, I, I did because, you know, I had to go through all the paperwork and help with insurance. And, you know, my father was almost a hoarder. Um, <laughs> my father had every issue of Rolling Stone magazine since the day it started in 1977. Um, you know, like, you know, so I did have time to grieve my dad. Um, and I don't know how to put this. It, I, he was gone. Um, Everybody else needed something, and I needed so much that there wasn't really space to to feel devastated, so I just didn't. Um, and let me let me. I, I told you this in the last podcast. Um, my father, my, my father had a bunch of sayings that he lived by and, and taught us as we were growing up. And the one that that has stuck with me, the one that I live by, my father always said, "People." places or situations can invite you to feel any which way you choose whether or not to accept no you choose whether to accept or decline those invitations you know i can't not feel sad but i could choose how to deal with it you know and how i dealt with it was just by throwing myself into you know into doing everything that needed to be done comforting my niece and nephew um, you know going through the estate not that there was much of it but uh, you know, and of course, dealing dealing with the vision stuff. Um, and then by the time, you know, all of all of that was done, and you know, my sister in the house were all taken care of, and you know, then I'm full on in mobility and trying to figure out, like, okay, you know, God, thank God for the iPhone, thank God for the iPhone, thank God for the iPhone. <laughs> but you know, even with the iPhone, you know, it's just not enough. You know, there's there's money reader apps, and and you know, all the things that all the things that you need to know, all the things that that will help you along the way. Um, you know, I, I had to learn them and I had to figure them out. And unfortunately, you know, New York is, is not, New York is amazing, but you need to know where to go for things. It, it's not the kind of place where, you know, you get, you know, a list of everything that's available and then you, you know, you knock on this door and you knock on that door. Like, I, you know, little by little, I, I, I started to piece together and figure out the things that I needed and how to get, like, I didn't get bulk rehab until like six months in. And by the time they came and started to, to want to help me, they put, they put a little machine to, to hang on the side of my cup. If I'm pouring, you know, and then it's going to beep when I'm at, well, that's my fingers for. Well, what do you do with your money? <laughs> well, I fold my twenties this way and I fold my tens this way. Oh, well we got this cute little wallet 
for you. Yeah, this thing is awesome. Okay, who taught you how to do your money that way? No one. I I, I needed to know what my twenties were. I wasn't going to give a twenty, you know, yeah. and not get my change back. You know, by the time Volk Rehab came along, I had figured out a lot of it on my own already. Um, and uh, so you, you know, didn't you didn't know anyone I, blind before. You just knew uh, Joanne, correct? Just Joanne, yeah. You know, and and I used to like when I was cooking, I would always put a, put a plate aside and ask her if she wanted food. I, I would pick things up at the store, and I'd sit downstairs every once in a while with soup and hang out. But you know, she medicated herself between weed and whatever meds she was on. You know, that was her life. And, you know, the apartment to the stoop, getting high, and um, so I didn't really know anything about being blind, and I knew there has to. You know, I've seen people with the cane. I've seen people with dogs. So her blind is not the only blind. And I'm definitely not going to be her blind. You know, that was definitely a big, you know, um, voice in the back of my head saying, you know, you know, your life, you were either going to live or you might as well die. Um, and, and I remember, you know, my mobility instructor telling me, and then, you know, along the way I did meet a few blind people. You know, everybody telling me, oh, the cane, you know, it, it's going to become an extension of you, you know, and, and you'll be used to it and you'll be fine. Not me. It, I, I never was comfortable with it. I was never fluid with it. And um, so once, you know, all the mobility, you know, a year, a year and a month later uh, and we've done everything, I'm, I'm taking buses and trains back, you know, back to traveling in Manhattan and doing all the things, shopping, you know, taking care of you know, all my needs as best as I can, you know, I, I, my, my mobility instructor was okay. Well, you know, we can apply for the dogs. Um, typically they don't, they don't really want to give you a dog until you have at least two years of independent mobility under your belt. Um, but you know, it won't hurt for you to apply. And, um, luckily, uh, you know, I, the, a trainer that came out to evaluate me, um, you know, we, we did the route. We got on a bus, on a ferry, on a train, went to, you know, 23rd Street, Manhattan. And he's like, okay, you, you, you need a dog. You, you're going to do very well with a dog. And I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't know until I went up there and actually got my dog that he fought for me. Um, he went to the board of, of GDF and fought for me. And basically they had, you know, decided bring him up for a couple of days, see how it works out. If, you know, if it's not, if he's not ready for it, send him back home and I'll have to come back in a few months. Yeah. Um, but in my head, I had basically decided, you know, it, you know, I never, I, I, my niece and nephew have your case. <laughs> um, and I had a cat, I, you know, wasn't entirely sure it was going to work with the dog. And so in my head, I had made the decision. If it doesn't work out with the dog, then I'm out of here. You know, I, I've done all I can do and I'm not going to live my life this way. You know, if it doesn't work out with the dog, then I'm out. What was your plan? You told me last time, but what was your plan? Oh, I was going to throw a big kick-ass fucking party. Uh, I was going to try to rent a space in Manhattan, um, you know, one of the bars, because obviously I'm not going to get a big tunnel, you know, a big club space. Um, but I was going to, you know, rent out a bar for the night, throw myself a big kick-ass party, and then go home and, and take a bunch of pills and, you know, sign off. Yeah. And... I, I was going to write my mom a really, really nasty letter <laughs> and tell her all the reasons why she's a horrible person. Yeah. Like, and it was going to, 
it sounds it sounds harsh letters for like my niece and nephew and stuff but you know it it sounds harsh yeah. and like not to like laugh at the situation but like i want to reiterate this to everyone because like i was in your situation too where like it's different when you're born blind and when you become blind later on because it, it takes a toll on your mental health and like, i i know like a lot of us we don't just it's because we don't know what's out there we're not educated enough to know like oh we can we could live like this you know so we think of the last the last uh hurrah in this to like to end it you know and it's it's not funny but for someone who goes through no it's not but it 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 wrecks it wrecks with your masculinity it wrecks with your yourself you know your your feeling of of self um you know being able to take care of your excuse me being able to take care of yourself and and you know everything from you know as i mentioned earlier i was a happy hoe i was a very very um sexual sensual person um, you know, and, and I didn't want anyone to know I was blind. I didn't, you know, like, you know, who's going to want to fuck a blind guy? Um, you know, yeah. and, and that's horrible. That's very, very horrible to say, but that's how I felt in the moment. You know, um, you know, what do I, what do I have left? Um, all those things. And, and if I can't work, you know, and, you know, everybody's like, oh, but you know, you have the iPhone and they have all these wonderful programs and this that. But I woke up one day driving, you know, uh, you know, running, going to the gym. And then the next day I can't see a damn thing. You know, yes, there's all these wonderful things, but you need you need to experience them for a while. You can't walk into, you know, an important, you know, someone that you want to employ you and be like, well, I'm going to learn how to do this and I'm going to learn how to do that. But can you give me the job today? Because I, eventually I'll be really good at it. Um, you know, and that, that, you know, when you've been on your own, I've been on my own since I'm 17 years old, you know, when you, it, 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 it takes everything away from you. You know, you're, I went through, I was not good with my money as far as saving and investing and they, I, I spent, I had about three months worth of, of money in the bank as far as bills and rent and all that was concerned. Um, you know, because I never wanted for anything. You know, if I needed to make more money, I found that way to go and, you know, I paid myself for an article and made a couple extra bucks here or, you know, I, I never wanted for money. I went, I always worked. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at that point it takes everything away from you. You know, I, I can't, I, I, I can't even pay the rent anymore. I can't pay the bills. I, I, and disability is not going to come for another couple of months. I had to borrow money and, and each one of those things, like, but, you know, the people that are lending it to you, they love you and they care about you. Yeah, but I don't want, I don't want to owe someone. And I don't know when or if I'm going to be able to pay them back. You, you know, all these things, that, like, little by little, it chips away at your, at your soul. And so by the time, you know, I was, re- you know, by the time I was going up for the dog, it was like, if this doesn't work out, then, then there's just no reason to stay. I, I, you know, I don't want to live this way the rest of my life. And luckily, you know, I, I got an amazing dog. It was an amazing experience. So what, what happened there? I guess, to, yeah, tell, tell the people like when you got there and what happened. Cause that's, that's an amazing story. I, I really did like that story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I went to Gaijong Foundation, which is in Smithtown, Long Island, uh, an amazing, amazing organization. And, um, you know, they take these students at a time. Uh, and it's two on one ratio. It's one trainer to two, you know, to two students and dogs. Um, and I was the only new guide dog user. Uh, all the, the other seven all had, had had multiple dogs. Um, so my dog is Bodhi. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Love him. He's so smart. He's Zen. You met him. You is is Bodhi not like the most Zen dog you ever encountered? Bodhi's chill. <laughs> um, but I didn't get Bodhi right away. Uh, they gave me Bodhi's brother Al. Um, and Al was way too much dog for anyone, but definitely you know way too much dog for for a first time. But they figured New York, I walk fast, I talk fast, I needed a dog that was going to be aggressive. And, you know, so the first, the first thing that they do is they take you to, to a track, you know, at high school, like a, you know, a running track, you know, and you do, you know, like an hour going around the track and then you walk back to the van and so on and so forth. So we got out on the track and, and this dog was literally dragging me around the track, and, you know, and, and I'm going steady, 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 stop, hold, hold. He didn't want to hear nothing. Yeah. He was out on the track and he was getting his exercise. All right, we go back to the school. They're telling me how to correct and to yank on, the, you know, yank on the leash and, you know, look away from him. Don't give him eye contact if he's not following. Okay. Three days in, we're in the mall. He's basically still doing the same, you know. This he's he's just he's just bleeding me. Like, not even no, he's not guiding me. He's just he's doing what he wants to do, and I'm along for the ride. Um, and we were doing our thing and he literally barreled through. There was an old couple that were walking, you know, hand in hand, their bags or whatever. And he barreled right through <laughs> breaking their hand contact or whatever. And, and the, the trainer is screaming at me, correct him, correct him. And, I, and I'm yanking and I'm like, Al, stop, Al, you know, and it just wasn't, it wasn't happening. And, you know, and they basically wanted me to like yoke him up off his front, you know, and I can't, I can't, I, I can't, I, I, I don't have it in me to choke a dog like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're like, he's leading you. He, he, he's got no confidence in you. You, he's alpha, and you know, and all this is like, you know. So I, I went to my room when we got back from the mall, and I was like, all right, well, I guess this is it. Um, and then the, the head trainer had come in and said, you know, we want to try you with a different dog, and I'm like. No, no, I, 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 that's not cool. What about Al? And you know, I felt like I felt like I failed Al. And, um, but I did. I went downstairs and I talked to to you know to, to my buddies, the, the people in the class with me, and they're all like, you know, you don't have anything to lose, and you know, and Al's gonna be okay. He'll get somebody else. And I'm like, nobody loves me. I'm this person. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> I can't do that to him. It's horrible. You know, he's gonna feel like a failure. And they're like. He's not going to feel like a failure. He's known you for three days. He'll be okay. I promise he's going to get another person. But, you know, this is your shot. And so, you know, I said, all right, I'll, I'll try this other dog and put Bodie in the harness and went out to, the, you know, when you, when you, um, you know, when you're up at school, like there's a, a route that you take, like with a little obstacle course to get to the vans every day. And that's part of the training. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was doing really badly with Al, obviously. Like, the, you know, the one, like, they put, like, bars up that he's supposed to walk you around. And those we were good with. But um, anything else, you know, the curb and where he was supposed to stop, nah, he wasn't feeling it. He wanted to get in the van and, and go for a ride. And then 
there I was with Bodie. And, you know, I knew my footwork. I knew my commands and so on and so forth. So, you know, hop up. We start moving. And and it was perfect. It was perfect. And and I was like, oh, my God, this is what it's supposed to be like. <laughs> okay. And that's my dog. And that was my dog. And from there on, it was, it was, it was, you know, amazing, life-changing. I, you know, everybody says that, you know, it takes a good four to six months before you really trust in the partnership. And man, we came home and we were on the bus and the subway two days later. I trust Al more than I trust, uh, Al, God forgive me. I trust Bodie more than I trust (laughs) just about every person in my life. Um, so you got home, you got home from then the, your plan w- went through. It worked out. Like you, it worked out with a dog. You don't have to throw your big hurrah. What was what was going through your head when you know you realized that you were gonna have to go through that? Honestly, I gotta get to work. And and what's next? Um, and and so you know, I had been I had been taking classes for Jaws. Um, I had started. Uh, I had found out about when I was up at uh, up at um up at the school about different agencies. The only agency at that point that I knew about was Howard Cower in New York, and unfortunately, that's like the ghetto agency in New York. And I'm not trying to be rude; they do good work and all, but they're just you know most of the clientele there is there to maintain whatever check they're collecting. I'm sorry, but that's what it is. Yeah, I didn't. I don't want that. You know, I want the skills that I need so that I can can find comparable work to what I was doing or or figure it out. Um, you know, so I kind of threw myself into that, and and I wanted to find more of a blank. You know, more I have my gay community down. Um, you know, I got the dog now, so I'm starting to feel all right. Maybe I can get my sexy back, but I also want to find a community where, you know. I'm not the guy that everybody's looking at. Oh my God, look at this guy with the dog and he's doing so good. And, you know, I wanted people that, you know, understood where I was coming from. Um, so that was my focus for a while. And um, I actually, you know, ended up meeting a few people and, and I was introduced to the idea of going to NFB and, and that really didn't work out well for me at all. Um, but in, in that process, I also learned about other services and things that I could try. And somebody had said to me, you know, well, did you grieve your eyesight? I'm like, what do you mean that I grieve it? It's gone. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's fucked up. It's really fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I'm pissed off. No, did you grieve it? And, you know, kind of went home that night and thought about it. And I'm like, well, all right. That, that uh, actually kind of makes a valid. That, that's interesting. No, I really didn't grieve it. Uh, and in New York, the Commission for the Blind offers like twelve counseling sessions, and uh, and I went in for that, and that really, and I started to understand. You know, I, I do. I, I have to let go. The mirror. If if a miracle comes, God bless. Thank God. If they find you know a, a different kind of microchip to implant in my brain, you know, yeah, I'm I'm gonna be the first one to sign up for it. Um, but you know, I really have to accept this is it. This is this is life. You know, as I as I know it going forward. Um, you know, and and I stopped hiding being blind. You know, and started to live 
you know, I came out of the closet as a gay, as a gay, as a gay man, you know, when I was 18, 19 years old. And then I came out of the closet as a blind man when I was 41 years old. Um, what was that feeling like though? Cause you did it once already and then having to do it again. Um, you know, I, I, by that point I had started to, you know, meet some blind people and so on and so forth. And I realized, wow, like LGBT, like the LGBT universe, there's a lot of different cliques. There's a lot of different blindnesses, you know, some of, some of the old school blind from birth really don't want to have much to do with people that lose their sight later on in life because it's a different world and they don't see things the same way. And, and I, and I started to understand, you know, okay, this is another microcosm of life. It's just another community. That's a lot like, you know, a lot like the LGBT community. Um, and, and honestly, it was more about claiming you know, my own power back, my own masculinity, my own, you know, sense of, you know, before this happened, I felt like there was nothing I couldn't do. You know, there was nothing that could be thrown at me that I couldn't, you know, handle. Um, and somewhere along the way, you know, early on, you know, that evaporated. It was gone. You know, I really didn't know how I was going to live the rest of my life, you know, and be productive and, and, and you know. And so I, you know, I started going back on the, on the apps and look, you know, chatting with guys and, and I started applying for jobs and, um, you know, there was no magical moment or anything, but it, it, it pretty much, it evolved into, I'm, I'm okay and I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I went to an NFB meeting and, and thought I was going to find some community there and. What happened Turns there? That, let, let them know, like, because that's <laughs> that's something that, you know, people have different experiences, and I think your experience was was pretty kind of on point on mine. But I, I want people to know your your kind of experience. So you know, I I had made contacts with you know at the book guide dog school, and there's a, a page on Facebook, uh, you know, graduates, and so somebody had connected me with the New York. Um, you know, chapter president. So, you know, I called and I spoke to the person and they meet at the Andrew Haskell Library on um, the first Saturday of every month and I'm going to come in. Okay, come a half hour early. I'll introduce you to everybody and, you know, the agenda's already set, but we'll give you a couple minutes to talk about yourself. And so, you know, I'm like, all right, this is going to be great. You know, maybe I'll make a friend or two and, and you know, be able to you know, extend the, you know, the whole resources and community thing and so on and so forth. So I did, I got there early and, you know, I made my way, I, I asked somebody for assistance and made my way back into the auditorium where they were meeting and, you know, and they were involved, very heavily involved in, in a conversation, you know, and the president was like, okay, you know, we're going to have the meeting or whatever and come back up afterwards. Uh, at, at this point, I'm still expecting him to like introduce me at some point, at least kind of like, you know, do the whole like, hey, I'm Anthony from Staten Island. I lost my, you know, my site two and a half years ago at that point. Um, you know, that didn't happen. I went back up um, at the end of the meeting and, uh, you know, and like, I was like standing there or whatever. And, and they're making plans to go out and eat. And uh, the president did introduce me to like two people, but 
they never asked me to go out and eat or anything. And, and I never really got to really meet, meet anybody. <clears throat> and then I, I spoke to the president two or three days later and, um, and she was like, you know, well, um, you asked for sighted assistance and, and that's not okay. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. What do you mean? Well, you know, you need to know where you're going and you need to know if you're, uh, you have the dog and, and I'm, I'm like, but, but I've never been here before. And, you know, nobody wanted to like say, okay, Hey, the auditorium is downstairs and in the back hall, you know, how am I supposed to know if I don't, it was just a very, I just didn't like the whole, and, and at the meeting, they were actually going to Washington DC in two weeks about this whole, like, you know, lawsuit that they have against Uber and all this. And, and I don't quite agree with the, with their standpoint on it. You, you know, Hey, Hey, you know, getting up in the face and, and being, that's not going to accomplish anything. Yeah. You know, my view is, you know, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Um, you know, and there are better ways to approach, uh, you know, I didn't say that in the meeting, but you know, I just, just everything about, uh, about the meeting, the interaction, all that really turned me off. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to check any of these organizations out anymore. You know, maybe I'll try the lighthouse because at that point I had heard about lighthouse. Um, maybe I'll try the lighthouse. They seem to kind of have a good reputation, but, uh, I'm not going to no more of these draft meetings. Hell no. um but subsequently a couple months later um one of my friends from guide dog school him and his wife were going to the acb convention um and uh you know her brother-in-law is also blind and so the three of them were going to be sharing a room you know they're in fixed income limited blah blah blah, same as me actually uh you know and they're like you know you said you you might want to go and i'm like no i don't know you know i went to this nfp meeting and those people are a little uh radical and quite frankly nasty um they're like no no no. acb is acb is much different it's not like that you know be who you are i'm like wait be who you are wow that's 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 the same for my lgbtq you know that's my people's yeah come as you are be as you are all right maybe how much (laughs) (laughs) you know and it just so happens that i actually got a check uh, from a story that I had sold a couple months before, I never knew when the check. You know, you, when you when you sell stories like that, you don't know when the you know when the check's actually coming. Um, and the check came in, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, let me book my Amtrak. Let me pay for my portion of the hotel room, and and I went up to the ACB convention in Rochester, New York, and uh, that was my first full-on blind convention. Um, and again, you know, the universe works in 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 their in its crazy way. It was, uh, <laughs> it was without a doubt, you know, what was, the, what was, what was going through your head though at that moment and on the train on the way over there? Cause you, you've never been to a convention and then your experience with NFB and you're like, you were weary, right? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I could hear you. Oh, all right. There was a click. Um, yeah, no, I, I was without a doubt weary. Uh, in fact, you know, Sean and Morgan, that's, that's my friend and his wife, you know, I had said, listen, you know, you know, we need to kind of have, you know, a plan of what we're doing and this and that, because, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be stuck with all these blind people. 
<laughs> and again, I'm sorry. I know how that probably sounds, but my experience up to that point was great and amazing. But everything else that I encountered was not, not unwelcoming, but it wasn't well. What and it wasn't welcoming. And then NFB is telling me I'm doing it all wrong. So you know, now I'm going to a convention. You know, and even though you're telling me it's come as you are, be who you are, I'm thinking myself, you know. I don't know. I'm going to have to fill this out really cautiously and, and, and see if this is, you know, this is really what they're telling me it is. Um, but it was, I, I was optimistic and hopeful. I will say that because I had also on the message, you know, on the different Facebook groups that I had started to, to join. Um, I, I met a guy who lives in Florida, um, my friend Noe now, and he told me about BPI which is uh, blind, blind LGBTQ Pride International. So I'm like, all right, well, my people's actually got a chapter too. All right, so maybe I'll meet a few blind gay people and, and maybe at least one of them will understand you know, kind of what I'm going through and maybe I'll make a friend. And so I did kind of have high hopes, um, but very much with reservations on the other side, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you, the first two days... Wow, what an education I got. <laughs> Blind folk, like gay folk, like just about every other group folk out there, run the gamut, man. There are some amazingly cool, awesome people, and there are some people that are like, oh, who lets you leave your house? <laughs> <laughs> My first day, I, I, I got off the elevator, and, and there's a group of blind people standing right in front of the elevator, having a conversation. As I'm trying to maneuver my way through, the per- excuse you, and I'm like, "What do you mean, excuse me? I'm trying to get off the damn elevator. What do you mean, excuse me?" <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I got acclimated pretty quickly, and, and all in all, it was uh, <laughs> it was a pretty amazingly awesome experience actually <laughs> but uh i definitely saw a lot of sides of, of blind life let's put it that way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like so, we were talking about on the last podcast yeah you know we were in the same hotel and and we were in the um we were in the broke down beaten down hotel yeah no one told me this i had no idea until i got there that it was the broken down beat down hotel and uh one you know one night the fire extinguishers went off and uh you know all of a sudden, I'm downstairs. Now, we're all blind. And, you know, there's obviously, you know, there was no smoke. There was obviously no roaring fire. <laughs> and, What's happening? I don't know where I am. What am I supposed to do? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, I remember that, man. That was so insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm new into all this, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to calm you down. Wait a minute. What's wrong with this picture? But you know, <laughs> so at that it, it something was, happened. Your first couple of days, you heard a voice. This is where the juicy stuff comes in. This is where the juicy stuff comes in. I am going to precursor this portion of the story with a phrase that I I love saying now. Hold up. Fuck falls in love in Rochester, New York. <laughs> well, guess what? I did. <laughs> <laughs> so 
On Saturday afternoon, Ira was holding like an open forum seminar about job seeking and so on and so forth. And I was very resistant up until that point. I hadn't used Ira. I didn't like the idea that they were charging, you know, at the lowest 30 bucks a month, you know, and there's a 70% unemployment rate. And those of us, you know, on limited income, like, like, how dare you charge this money? And I, I was like in my head. As I'm sitting in the seminar, I did, you know, hear a bunch of things that I actually started to say, all right, maybe this company isn't as bad as, but I, I still was itching to kind of like call them on it. So I was, of course, the first person I asked a question. Um, but then somebody else, I was all the way in the back of the room with Morgan and Sean, somebody else up front also had a couple of questions for them and wasn't letting them give the pat answers like, like me, you know, I, 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 the guy's name is Paul. I, I was like, no, but Paul, I, honestly, you know, giving away the, giving away the, the job seeking minutes and all that, you still got to pay 30 bucks a month. What about this service makes it worth it? And this and that. And then the guy in the front gets up a little bit of a Latin accent and he's talking and he's giving them a little bit of a hard time. And I'm like, wow, I had no idea whether he was gay or not. It wasn't even about that. It was just, just the, in, the intelligent way that he sounded. And so I was like, I gotta get to, I want to know him. I could be friends with him, but apparently he had something else to do. And, and when the meeting was over, he, you know, I made my way to the front trying to find him and he was already gone. Little did I know. So that was Saturday afternoon. Sunday night was the BPI mixer, Vine Pride International. So, I, I, and at this point now, with the couple of experiences that I had, good and bad, I was like, oh man, I don't even know if I want to go to this thing. Do I want to set myself up for another disappointment? What if all these people all crowded around in front of the door and I can't even get in? <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, like, and, you know, I got in the, I got in the elevator and I, like, then I pushed the button. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to go. Then I got in the elevator again and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go. And I made myself go. And, um, I started talking to the sighted volunteer who, you know, I paid my money at the door and went in and he's like, you, you know, you want a drink, you want a glass of wine, whatever. I got, you know, he got me the glass of wine. I was talking to him and all of a sudden I hear a voice. And the voice was talking to me. He wanted to introduce himself. He was the president of BPI. And it turned out to be Gabriel. And that was the voice. I was like, holy fuck, you got to be kidding me. Oh my God. Now, at that point, I had been flirting with the sighted volunteer, Victor. <laughs> because I was thinking <laughs> to myself, all right, you just told me that you became the, the city comptroller for San Bernardino or San whatever, California. Um, you've got sight. Oh, score. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if he wants me, you know, yeah. I'll get a little sum sum. I'll probably get a dinner or two, you know, and plus I'll have sighted assistance the rest of the week. Score! <laughs> <laughs> and then came Gabriel. The voice came back. No voice was there. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I got Gabriel for Damn it. I got Gabriel for me <laughs> with me on the right hand side. Yeah. I got Victor for me on the left hand side. Now I usually got game, I gotta tell you. Um but the game was gone. I didn't know. I hold on, hold on. Before you continue, so, before you continue, I want everyone yeah. to hear that was that was a glass, right? That you just dropped. Yes. See that that's see yes, um, just, see that's what Gabriel does to him, even when he's not around. <laughs> <laughs> yes. you, you'll find yes. out why. I just broke a champagne fruit. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> All right, continue, continue. <laughs> so I had to excuse myself. I had to go downstairs for a cigarette and try to figure out how to. I didn't want to offend, you know, or, or cause a drama with the sighted volunteer because it was the only sighted volunteer up in BPI. So, you know, I had to ex- extricate myself from that situation. And then I had to figure out, well, how am I going to play this when I get back? Because I want him, period. Point blank, Gabriel. I, I didn't know I wanted him, like, for life. At that moment, I just, you know, wanted to spend convention with him. Um, you know, especially the nights. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I went downstairs, had a cigarette, you know, kind of amped myself up. And I'm like, where's your game? You know, you know how to do this. What is wrong with you? Come on now. Just because, you know, just because they're, they're you know, they're blind. It's the same game, bro. It's the same game. Get up there and do your thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I came off the elevator there on the 12th floor and Gabriel was waiting for me in the hallway. He liked me, at least, you know, chemistry-wise, you know, the way I liked him. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had our first kiss in that hallway. <laughs> <laughs> and man, man, what a kiss. And uh, basically we've been together ever since. <laughs> how was your experience that week like you you fell in love in rochester but with everything else with everything else your whole experience there what what was it like at the convention because it was your first one yeah it, you know it was amazing it was amazing in so many ways you know and is it partially colored by the fact that i fell in love in fucking rochester new york yeah <laughs> but um you know i i met you and and, and antoinette i met men um, Leah, who is the vice president of VPI, um, you know, is, is, is a, one of my best friends now, um, you know, between BPI and I had traveled back and forth to Virginia and Maryland where my puppy raises are. I became really good friends with them and my sister's in Virginia. That's the only traveling I had done since I, you know, since I lost my eyesight. So going up to Rochester was my first foray into traveling with no backup whatsoever you know nobody meeting me at the other side um you know i'm gonna have to fend for myself completely um you know so between that and and the different seminars and and gabriel 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 (laughs) um you know it really was one of the most incredible experiences of my life to this point so do do you i mean i'm not we're not telling people what to do. Would you suggest for someone who's like struggling to accept themselves as a blind person to, and who has the capability of traveling to just go and experience it? Absolutely. I, without a doubt. Yeah. I would absolutely say go to an ACB convention. Um, you know, I, I'll experience, well, maybe not because of the Corona. I, it is slated that I would experience my first state convention this year. Um, here, I subsequently, by the way, moved to Miami, Florida to be with him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I literally got on a plane days before March 11th. I literally got on a plane days before the lockdown in New York happened. Um, but no, yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely would say. Um, no matter what, you're going to learn a thousand things, how, you know, how other people deal with things, thing, you know, you're going to learn as much what you want to do and how you want to do it as much what you don't want to be and who you don't want to be. Um, you know, and that's, that's the beauty of any 
gathering. I would say the same thing about the LGBT community. You know, I've been doing Pride on and off for years, years. You know, in fact, you know, this past year was was um, the 15th anniversary of Stonewall, and it's the first Pride that I went to after losing my sight because, you know, my people were bothering me and saying, you know, you were so involved and da-da-da, you know, you, you, know, you got to come back. Yeah. And, uh, and um, it's the same. No, baby. Um, it's, you know, it's the same thing. There, there are different groups. There are different, you know, um, but you'll learn as much, you know, about who you want to be as, as who you don't want to be. And, Is that Gabriel uh, in the background? That's Gabriel. Yeah. All right. I think he was, he was, if you want to get it, you want to get him in. Cause that, that'd be pretty cool to tell what was his side of the story at this point. In, in, in the Hold on one second. <laughs> Gabriel! <laughs> Baby, babe, I think he's actually on. Okay, he's in the meeting. Okay, I think so. Yeah. Okay, if he comes in, um, I mean, if he, if he, if he's done, <laughs> that he can, he can tell his part. But let's let's talk about um how it blossomed from the convention to like, because obviously you're now in Miami, but there's months in between. What happened? Um. Okay. So. You know, we basically spent convention together. There was one little moment of drama with the sighted volunteer guy um, the night of the banquet, but we could work past that. <laughs> um, you know, but he's he was in Miami. I was in New York, and um, I wasn't sure. You know, I knew. I, I knew the second day. Um, actually, the, the second, you know, the day after the mixer was the adult beverage tour that I had signed up for. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to get drunk with people, blind people. I'm going to make me some friends. This is, you know, on my way up there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I actually, the universe, the universe again, as I was sitting waiting for the bus, you know, to, for the tour bus, all of a sudden there comes Gabriel walking by. And, uh, he was like, hello, Bodie's daddy. And I'm like, <laughs> humana, 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 hi. <laughs> um, and, and I knew I, we kissed out in the bright, it was like 90 degrees, bright sun, you know, absolutely beautiful weather. And I, I knew from that point that, you know, there was something going on. Um, but I got on the train to go home and, uh, he called me, he, you know, he had had an earlier flight. So he was already back in Miami and, um, we basically, you know, the train ride is, is almost five hours. So we basically spent the entire train ride talking and, um, couple couple about a week and a half later i booked a flight for the end of august to come to miami which i ended up having to change that flight because of the hurricane that was gonna hit miami (laughs) so i came two days early and our first four days we were in the house because you know there was a hurricane going on and it really wasn't bad at all it was not you know not much damage here in, in miami at all thank god yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, the first time I come down and then when I come down for good, I, I, you know, first time I'm chasing a hurricane, the second time I come down during a fucking pandemic. <laughs> 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 but, um, I ended up staying for a month. Um, I extended, I extended my time. My birthday is September 15th. He threw me a little party on my birthday. Um, and I was here for a month. We, uh, hung out. The BPI fall social happened to be the end of, um, the first weekend of October. So we, um, I quickly booked a flight for, for Denver and we went to the, you know, the BPI event in Denver, came back in November for a month. Um, he came to New York once and spent a couple of days and, but at that point, you know, yeah, I, 
I've always been, I told you this a lot in the last podcast, but it's, you know, it's, it's core truth. So I've always been a big fan of like all the World War II stuff and, you know, especially like the, the stories of these people that fell in love or were writing letters and, you know, they waited for each other through the war and he came home and got off the train and then he picks her up and he's spinning her around. Like, how fucking romantic is that, right? <laughs> um, now I'm a confirmed happy hub. But all of a sudden, I got all these romantic notions going on in my head. And, you know, we had phone dates, you know, where we actually, you know, we actually had dinner and a glass of wine together on the phone. And we, 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 we actively really got to know each other and, and really got to understand who each other is. And, you know, and I, I knew, I knew coming down in November that, you know, I was coming down to be with, you know, with my partner, with my guy. Um, and so from that point, we're starting to figure out, okay, do you want to come to New York? Do I want to come down here? You know, how are we going to make this work? And, uh, Miami went out for now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so you found your lobster in Rochester. <laughs> I found my lobster. Yeah. You know, in Spanish, my, mi lingosta. <laughs> so you're there, you're there now, right? In, in Miami? Huh? Say that again? You're there in Miami now, correct? I am, yeah. So, okay. New York. Here's another incident happened in New York. What's currently going on right now? And that... It's, it tells a lot about New York, tells a lot about you, like how tough New York is. What's going on right now? And how uh, well, obviously, it? you know, it's the coronavirus. Um, no relation whatsoever. <laughs> my people don't have nothing to do with the virus. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just my last name associate me with the beer. Um, no, but... Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm no, sorry. No, no, you're good, you're good. Um you know, New York is literally on the, on lockdown. It has the highest concentration of, of um, there's over, you know, over 2,000, probably closing in on 3,000 cases, um, 200 deaths. Uh, Staten Island, where I'm from, actually has the highest concentration in the city. Um, and so, you know, as, as the writing was on the wall, it was like, I got to get on a plane. You know, most of my stuff is still there in my apartment. Um, you know, we were actually planning on having, you know, I was coming down here either way. And then I was, we were going to go back, uh, for a weekend or a couple of days, at the beginning of May, you know, finish packing up and, and do the actual rest of the move that's somewhat on hold. till we figure out, you know, what the hell is going on with Corona. Um, you know, um, but, uh, my city is, uh, my city is, is, is on the lockdown right now and it's, uh, it's bad. It's really bad. What's the, what's but my state, governor, what's the state there? Right. My now? governor, man. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Cause I, that, that, Como, that tells, he a lot, is the man. tells a lot about New York too, with the governor and like how you guys are feeling and what's going on with all that, like mental, mentally, emotionally, like with all that. Um, you know, I, from, you know, from what I hear from my friends and, and my family that's there, um, it's, it's, it's a lot like, it's a lot like nine 11. Um, you know, people are pulling together. Um, you know, I, wherever you go, I mean, uh, you know, everybody's seen the idiots on the beach on Florida in Florida, wherever you go, there's going to be idiots. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, New York is taking it seriously. You know, they, they know what's at stake and, um, you know, and what's at stake is, is, 
you can kill your 80 year old grandmother just by going to the, you know, going to the bar because you feel like having a beer, you know, and then you bring that shit back home. And two weeks later, your grandma's in an intensive care unit dying alone because you can't have visitors at this point. You know, there's not enough, there's not enough testing. There's not enough equipment, you know, and people, unfortunately people are dying horribly alone. Um, and, and it seems my state, at least, you know, my, my old state, <laughs> I'm, I'm a Floridian now, I guess. But, um, you know, my home state where I was born, you know, they're taking it seriously. They know, you know, they know what's at stake. Um, you know, and you look at Mario, uh, Mario, Andrew Cuomo, Mario was his father and he was the governor when I was, when I was a kid in school, <clears throat> kind of like the Bushes. Yeah. But, um. Andrew Cuomo, you know, he's giving a press conference every day, and the difference between him and Trump is it, it light years. You know, this is a man that was born for me. This is a man that, you know, is taking care of his state. You know, he's taking care of every single one of the people in his state. Um, yeah, but it's 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 bad. It's really bad. So you're I'm not not to say that you fled New York, but you you had somewhere to go. What what's your what's your feeling now that you are looking at um, New York from the outside? Wow, um, you didn't ask me that one on the last on the last recording. Um, and you know, honestly, if if I hadn't, you know, I was coming here either way, so you know, I didn't really flee Corona. Mm -hmm. um, You know, I'm just not going back, you know, when I'm going back to, to finish packing and, and do the, the, the second half of the move is, is in the air, but I was coming here either way. Um, you know, if, if I wasn't here, I, I, they probably would be checking me into a psychiatric center at this point. Um, you know, worried about him being alone down here, me being all locked up in isolation up there. Um, I guess there's a small part of me that, you know, that's where I was born. You know, those are my people. Uh, I don't think that, they, you know, I, the rational brain knows there's nothing that I can do. You know, I, I can't heal anyone. I can't stop it from spreading. But, you know, we went through 9-11 together. We went through Sandy together. You know, I, there's a, I guess there's a very small part of me that feels like I abandoned my people. Um but this is my family. This is, this is my life. This is, this is the rest of my life. This is my, you know, I'm where I, I'm where I need to be. I'm where I belong. Man. So now you're yeah. there. Now you're, so now I'm here. What are you looking back? Everything now. Cause now you, you, do you feel this is where you belong at this, at this point? Yeah, without a doubt. Absolutely. So looking this back is, throughout your is, whole life, what is something that, you know, that you learned and what is something that you would want to share with everyone? Like like uh, the last podcast I asked you to share um, a phrase or a quote. You could, you could give three again this time around or whatever, how many you want to. But what is something you learned and what is something that you would want to share with everyone else? Well, I definitely want to repeat. I want to start and I want to repeat, you know, what my dad taught us when we were, you know, growing up, he, he said it, if he said it once, he said it a thousand times. People, places, situations, they can invite you to feel any which way you choose whether or not to accept 
or decline that information, you know, that, that invitation, you know, and you can't, the moral of that is, you know, you can't stop yourself from feeling grief. You can't stop yourself from being angry, sad, but you know, you choose what to do with it and how you're going to do it. How are you going to deal with it? You know, happy, happy is not this amazing, you know, the birds are singing and, you know, helping you pick up garbage and, you know, you're skipping through, you know, a windblown street. Happy is just knowing where you are, accepting where you are, being comfortable and, you know, and finding ways to enjoy where you are. That's what happy really is. Happy is, happy is loving yourself and letting other people love you and loving other people. Um, so, you know, I would definitely, definitely want to impart those two things. And then the third and more, you know, I don't know if it's most important, but the third thing that I've learned is you never really know, you never really know how strong you are until you have to deal with something. And, you know, wise wise little Yoda, you know says there's no such thing as try you either do or you don't and you know it's trite and, and you know cliche as that is it's actually tr- it's actually really true you either do or you don't there's not you know there's not a lot of gray area in that in, in the world and you know if you if you decide you're gonna do and fail at least you at least you did something and the next time you won't fail or, or maybe the next time you will fail, but the third time you won't fail. But if you do nothing, you'll never know. You'll never know. Just keep moving. Just keep, just keep living. Hmm. That's what's worked for me. And, and if that works for somebody else out there, drop me a note on Facebook <laughs> or <laughs> on Twitter and let me know. <laughs> Dang, man. Well, I, I appreciate you <laughs> doing this again. I, you know, fucked up the first time it was on me and I, I totally appreciate you coming back and, and doing this interview again with me for the second time um i think this was this one was you know better than the first one i i do appreciate you doing that i think so too yeah yeah thank you <laughs> um with that being said uh where where uh where can they find you what's going on with you now like what can they find you what is something that you want people you want to share with everyone else um any bpi stuff anything that you're doing like work like anything you want to plug Awesome. Yeah, let me plug. Um, well, first and foremost, uh, for the last five years, I am a co-host um, of a soap opera in a soap opera podcast. It's every other Thursday night. It's you can find it at Take the Number Two Radio. Um, you know, and if you're asking the A lady, you can just ask her to play the latest episode of Take Two Radio Soaps. Uh, we're actually nominated for uh, some awards this year, so I'm really, really excited about that. Um, you can also find me every Tuesday night <laughs> on BPI on um, ACB Radio Maine at 10 p.m. Um, our BPI podcast launched last week. I'm currently the acting secretary for BPI. The secretary had to had to resign uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, you know I kind of threw my hat in the ring. My my uh, husband is the president. My best friend is the vice president. So hell, I might as well be secretary and uh, support. <laughs> The board was okay with that. So, you know, until uh, elections, I am the acting secretary. And there's a lot of BPI stuff going on. You can uh, you can go to uh, BPI on Facebook, Blind Pride International, or blindlgbtpride.org. Uh, we're doing a lot of shares, a lot of open Zoom stuff, uh, the radio show every Tuesday night. 
my podcast every other Thursday night. And you can find me. I'm Anthony31C on Twitter. And I am Anthony Corona, like the beer, not the virus. I, it still says Instant now, and I do have to change that. Um, but you can find me on Facebook at, you know, Anthony Corona. And, uh, man, this is, this has been a really good conversation. Take two, but that's, it's all good. <laughs> I'm really, really glad you, you know, you wanted me for my blind life, Anthony Corona. All right, man. Let's well, see what the next that. blind life is going to be. Yeah, man. Let's see. <laughs> well, here's to the, the future Anthony and Gabe. I don't know who's taking whose last name, but eventually something's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a hybrid, yeah. <laughs> right. And here's to you and the beautiful, beautiful internet. Thank mm. you so much, man. appreciate that. So with that being said, man, go ahead and close them out. Let them know who you are and what this is. I am Anthony Corona, and this has been My Blind Life. All right, man. Come back again for the next Blind Life story. Yeah, appreciate that, man. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, Thank you, Anthony, again for doing this. (laughs) Always good talking to you, man. Same here. Same here. Don't be a stranger, bro. Hit us. Hit up all BPI shares. For sure, for sure, man. All right, guys. Laters. Later. So you guys listening, um, we got a little special treat for you guys who are staying to the end of the podcast. (laughs) If you can hear, there's something going on in the background. I'll bring you back guys in here in a bit. So just keep listening. Stay tuned. All right. All right. Cool. Uh, For those of you who stayed to the end of the podcast, we got a little special treat. We got introduce yourself, my man. Hey, my name is Gabriel Lopez Gafari. I'm um, president of Blind LGBT Pride International BPI. He's one of my and he's one of my good friends. And um, so thanks. during during the story, um, Anthony had mentioned when he first got to Rochester, he heard a voice, and that voice turned out to be you. And yeah. you know, now he's in my. That's what he says. Yeah. <laughs> so no, just kidding. I want. Just I want to. You want to know what happened? Uh, what was your side of the story at Rochester? What happened? Oh, I guess Anthony already told you. Fucking Rochester. Yeah. <laughs> 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 fucking Rochester, New York. Well, um, a a good friend of ours, a common friend, had already texted me that his friend Anthony Corona would be in Rochester. And I say, yeah, have him, you know, visit us. And uh, if he's interested in joining some of BPI events, feel free. Uh, we love to have new people, new friends, new members, new allies, etc. So um, I do remember Anthony from from the uh, IRA workshop that morning. It was Saturday morning. It was the first workshop I attended, even before registration. And uh, and after that, uh, we just this got disconnected uh he did text me i do remember but i was so busy because i was in charge of uh taking care of all of bpi's programming for convention and also i wanted to do my you know my stuff i wanted to go to the uh, workshops that i wanted to go to and uh i don't know what anthony told you guys here online (laughs) on the podcast about how i probably ignored his 
text messages. But that's no, I left that part out. Okay, good. <laughs> I was being polite to you, baby. Thank you. Well, he I ignored was... my three text messages. I didn't know that he was the voice. I just knew he was president of BPI. So that was the other reason why it was hard for me to get in the elevator and go actually to the mixer that night. Because I'm like, this guy can't even be bothered to get back to me. I'm like, you know, possibly a new <laughs> member and, you know, a new member to the community. Like, hey, you can't even text me back and be like, what time the party starts? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, well, FYI, their ACB always does an excellent job at uh, posting the uh, calendar for convention everywhere. So you should have known what time the party was. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, anyway, I did get to, um, finally, we got to the mixer party time. Yay. So, yeah, I, I met Anthony at, at the mixer. And, uh, okay, first of all, I need to ask. I don't, I don't mind if, you, if, you're, if you're airing this or not, Steve. I have to ask uh, Anthony, how much personal stuff did you share? <laughs> well... You know, without getting, you know, I told him I kissed in the hallway. I told oh, him okay, what good. happened okay, when I walked okay. in the door and who I was originally talking to. Okay, okay, okay. I didn't okay. tell him about that night, you know, no, the next okay, morning. Good. But <laughs> no, <laughs> Let's keep it PG. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, I don't know, for some reason, for some reason, and I'm not, really, I'm not bragging or tooting my own horn. Some people tend to find my boys attractive, sexy, etc., whatever. So um, when I was at the mixer, my my duty as president of BPI was to you know mingle and connect with everyone, make sure that everyone's having a good time, that everyone's uh, having drinks and everything. So um, I I heard one voice in particular that uh, caught my attention. He had a guide dog. <laughs> And, um, just, I don't know. I, I was, I was, I felt so comfortable since the very first moment, like since the get go that I was, um, that I was just like, um, could you take care of my dog? <laughs> 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 because I, and he was like, he stayed quiet. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm just asking because I know you have a dog. So, you know, probably our dogs could sit with you Well, I, go around and mingle and make sure that everyone's you know doing good because i have to do that yeah and uh, and i like to do that i love to mingle and see who's around and see you know who's joining us because bpi's mixer and bpi's events at convention are always very famous so he took care of my, my dog posh which is like almost giving him my liver <laughs> because he's <laughs> one of my treasures he's, he's my life so um after that, we started chatting. I knew that uh, some other folks were trying to, I don't know, get very friendly with him. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, just probably not even an hour later, I was kind of feeling a little bit perturbed or uncomfortable. Why are these guys trying to land him? Uh, he Sidebar note. I was told later on that I was dubbed the fresh meat whore. <laughs> Not by me, though. <laughs> anyway, um, then, you know, I, I, after I made sure that everyone was taken care of and that everyone was having a good time, 
I made it a point to sit down and chat with him and dedicate more time with him rather than just dumping my dog on him. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and after that, all of a sudden, he tells me that he's going to go um, downstairs. He's going to go out for a smoke. And I was like, yeah, right, guy. This is your excuse to say I'm uncomfortable. I'm leaving. And I said, okay, he's not coming back. So he left and I went around, you know, got a couple of things to drink and eat myself. And I said, I'm going to go outside because with all the vultures here around him, I want to be the first one to meet him out if he decides to come back, if it is true that he's coming back. Yeah. So I went outside to the hallway and I started making phone calls and, you know, connecting with people from Miami and my home country, Honduras, which I have neglected uh, because of being at a convention and making sure that everything was running smoothly. So when I finished with my phone calls, I said, okay, this is enough time for a smoke. He's not coming back. So I'm going to head back into the suite and just continue having a good time. And that's it. All of a sudden I hear around the corner from outside the elevator into the hallway to the BPI suite. I hear him. I hear a voice saying, come on, Bodie. Right. Right, right, Bodie. <laughs> and I was like, ah, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and yeah, I, I, I turned around because I was about to open the door back into the suite. And I turned around and I was waiting for him. So we, I was waiting and I told him, hey, I'm here. Um, I was waiting for you. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And um, obviously, me having, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have a lot of tricks in my arsenal. I used to have. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so this guy is not doing anything. I, I need to do something. I was wearing, I love, love, love my t-shirt. Um, it was just July, so it had been uh, Pride Month, and uh, which Pride Month is June. So that year, 2019, last year, I, I'm talking like if it was like decades ago. <laughs> 2019, <laughs> 2019 was a year that, that uh, a lot of the fashion designers decided to launch their own Pride collections. So I had this beautiful um, sleeveless T-shirt. It's not a tank top, but it was just sleeveless with ha with a hoodie, which I love hoodies. And it had a design like a tiger in rainbow colors and covered with, what you call it? Sequins. Sequins. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always afraid to say that word because it sounds like sequins. Oh, yeah. Okay. So sequins. And I told him, um, I'm wearing a very cute rainbow shirt. Do you want to feel it? <laughs> <laughs> so I grabbed his hand and I have him touch internally I'm going squad yeah. yes <laughs> and and obviously after that when he was done touching the tiger <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't want him to move his hand away from my chest so I just got closer and that was our first kiss <laughs> yeah um so i don't know what else he told you steve or you guys out there <laughs> well i glossed over everything life. except for the banquet night and i just said that there was a little drama with the sighted volunteer but we got past it we got past it well after that he was still unsure whether i was according to him i was sending mixed messages because I told him if he was coming along because a group of us were going back to the Hyatt to have some drinks. At that point, I had not been clear that he was specifically invited to spend the rest of the night with me. But, you know, it's 
it is what it is. I'm, I'm spontaneous and just natural and go with the flow. Yeah. But uh, to be honest with, with you, um, we had a spectacular evening, not only uh, after a party with everyone at the bar at the Hyatt, but um, <laughs> definitely upstairs after that, the upstairs, yes, <laughs> which we're going to fast forward. <laughs> but then I realized, I realized when I saw him out, um, I did I'm tell him that you told him. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but I have to tell my perspective when I heard this volunteer tell him, t- talking to Bodie and saying, Bodie, go your daddy. And I said, Bodie, daddy. And I was like, Hey, Bodie's daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and I melted literally melted well i melted too and and i and i and i can't see at this point i my condition is a degenerative uh retina condition Mm -hmm. so at this point i cannot see but i could see his face and i'm telling you i i i felt in my heart and in my eyes and in my brain that i was looking at the most handsome man that i've ever seen (laughs) (laughs) so yeah after that it was an instant connection and you know We've been together ever since. That's beautiful, man. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, I appreciate you letting us know your perspective on that week because, I mean, of our, all of our friends, when we saw your Facebook mm-hmm. post that he was down there like, hey, something is going on between them. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I appreciate that, man. I appreciate and, you. And, like, and, and let me tell you something. That week was, was, for me, it was a week of connections because I reconnected with so many awesome people. And I connected for the first time with so many awesome people. Obviously, the now love of my life and forever and future love of my life. <laughs> but I got to meet you and Antoinette. Yeah. And uh, you guys were so inspiring. I loved, loved, loved your uh, message on opening ceremony at the uh, at the ACB opening ceremony oh, yeah, on Saturday. Yeah. Evening. yeah. <laughs> when you when you basically told these people uh, from ACB. I want to have your your spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I was man. I was one of the ones who was like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> Not because I love I love everyone in ACB. I feel that ACB is blessed and lucky to have such an amazing board. But obviously, we are all aging, and it was it was so cool to see someone your age with so much energy. Yeah, to uh, to take the baton and to take the you know to take the torch and and carry the legacy of ACB. So kudos, man. Appreciate kudos. that, Definitely appreciate that man. I, I had a blessed time. It was fun. And then meeting you guys, and it was just fun. And I I hung out a lot with BPI. Yes, think, you I did. Think, I think you that did. was And I we were happy was to mainly, have you and Antoinette. I, think that I, I mainly hung out with BPI. Antoinette hung out with students, but like I mainly hung out with BPI because, I mean, I, my friends were all BPI. So like, you know, I'm going to fucking go hang out with these guys. And then I started uh, no, uh, um, meeting some of the younger members, but for the most part, it was just BPI, and I had a blast. And I met you two there, and it was it was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. You know, you asked me before about you know what I recommend somebody going to convention, and you know I want to amend that answer. Um, first and foremost, you know come to come to convention because BPI throws amazing events from advocacy, mind and body, wine tastings, party. Parties, yeah, dare to share, but more than that, there is a possibility that, like me, you could fall in love in fucking Schomburg or uh, Phoenix. (laughs) Yeah, man. Just to to tell you a funny story, I don't know if you're gonna. I'm, I'm sure you're gonna edit this. I don't know if you want to hear. 
Janet Deckelman, who is the uh, convention coordinator for ACB, she has specifically told me that she wants to be um, something, a uh, 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 rose, rosebird or godmother or something in our wedding because we are a convention couple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we are. <laughs> well, We're going to get her on, um, what do they call it when you're on the internet, when you become a, a minister? Oh, and ordained. We're ordained. 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 Yeah. Ordained. Ordained. Yes. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it, fellas. Like that was that was a good game. Like, um, I think this this episode was better than the the first time, the first go around, because now we got Gabe's per- perspective. <laughs> oh. Awesome, so, Steve. Well, thank you, Steven. Appreciate you guys. So, All right. Um, again. Okay. Uh, see you later, guys. For the second time, if you guys stayed to listen to the end of this, this is a special treatment for you guys. So, thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. My Blind Life with Steven. Steven Mike. <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. Talk to you, <laughs> Talk to you guys awesome. later. Don't miss an episode, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Time for Meatloaf. We're out. <laughs>